There will now be an opportunity for silent prayer or meditation. Thank you, you may be seated. Thank you, honorable members. Let's make sure that uh, we still carry on with trying to protect each other, one another. Uh, with the wearing of our masks. Uh, this is just a rare occasion where I would like to welcome managers of this parliament. Uh, in the gallery where they are seated. I know it doesn't happen occasionally, so I just feel uh, good that you should be welcomed uh, to the house. Thank you very much. The secretary will read the first order of the day. Debate on vote number two, Parliament Appropriation Bill. Thank you very much. Uh, I will now recognize the Speaker of the National Assembly, Honorable Ngakula, to start. Thank you. Thank you very Before much. Before you proceed, uh, Speaker, sorry, hold the, the thing. That sound again. There's that sound again. Please look into it before the speaker starts. There's an echo. Yeah, it seems better now. Okay. Thank you, speaker, for your patience. Oh, gosh. Oh, it doesn't want you to switch on. Probably it is this one. Yeah, something is okay. Wrong. Yeah. Please check as she proceeds. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson, Presiding Officers, Honorable Members of the National Assembly. The beginning of the year 2020 marked a period during which Parliament in its role and duty to the people of South Africa following the unprecedented devastation as well as its own recovery and rise in the aftermath of the furious fire that destroyed its own infrastructure in the first few days of this year. It should also be remembered that our country and the world beyond our borders was also caught in the throes of COVID-19, which killed more than a million of our own citizens. However, our people continue to be resilient in terms of their resistance to the calamities we have referred to above and continue to engage in the rebuilding and reimagination of our country's future. Our people, I believe, will look for the proverbial phoenix 
as our nation rises from these ashes of the devastation of the fire of parliament to come out stronger and more united in our continued quest to build a better future for our nation. For as Joseph Ning so aptly pointed the symbolism of a phoenix, and I quote, never bested by hardship or defeated by death, the phoenix is the ultimate icon of hope and rebirth, close quote. So shall it be for this institution, rising from its own ashes to stand as a torchbearer for our nation. It is this daunting task before us, Chairperson, that forms the backdrop to this, my maiden introductory speech of Parliament's budget vote debate as Speaker of our National Assembly. In the context of this backdrop, therefore, we present a budget which I trust will present a picture that does not define business as usual. Madam Chair, the unfortunate events that led us to our current circumstances have also created opportunity for us to reevaluate and reimagine our work with a view to use the lessons of our business unusual to improve the functioning of parliament and strengthen the capacity legislative sector as a whole. Honorable members, as per the requirement of the Financial Management of Parliament and Provincial Legislatures Act, we present the 2022-2023 budget based on the overall strategic plan of the sixth parliament and the annual performance plan as tabled. We also outline as part of the accountability process the key achievements and challenges of the previous financial year, which represented effectively the second year of functioning within the constraints of the COVID-19 pandemic. Given the need for parliament to continue functioning and active, more so during the challenging period of the pandemic than at any other time in our history, the institution had to do everything within its capacity to remain effective within the business unusual model. During the period in review, Parliament adapted itself to new ways of working, ensuring that effective oversight and accountability is exercised, including the increased use of advanced technology to hold virtual and hybrid meetings. Given the odds against which the institution had to operate over the year in review, the levels of achievement made can only be described as extraordinary. Much commendation must go to the management team, the staff, and you honorable members for such achievement in performance. Despite the constrained environment, parliament continued to function and fulfill most of its obligations. This is only possible through the introduction of the innovative business unusual model that saw increased reliance in new technologies, ensuring that committees and plenaries are held virtually and later as a hybrid. Under public participation, Chairperson, the public interface and public participation had taken a notable dive during the 2021 year at the height of the hard lockdown. But we have now recorded marked improvement in this regard as a result of the new public participation strategy aimed at enhancing public information, access and participation. Lawmaking, Chair, Parliament's constitutional mandate of lawmaking 
was successfully executed, managing the pass to pass a total of 20 bills during the period in review. In addition, Parliament also passed the national budget, which is also tabled annually in Parliament in the form of legislation. It is also worth noting that Parliament was able to finalize a number of legislation, key amongst which was legislation aimed at combating gender-based violence, which was officially recognized as a second and worsening pandemic during the COVID lockdown period. These bills included the Criminal and Related Matters Amendment Bill, the Criminal Law, that is Sexual Offenses and Related Matters Amendment Bill, and the Domestic Violence Amendment Bill. Parliament continues to regard its role in lawmaking as critical in giving practical expression to the values and provisions of our constitution and in supporting our democracy. Allow me, Chair, to say something about on the Electoral Laws Amendment Bill. In this regard, allow me to address a matter related to the concerns that have been raised recently about the work we are doing in finalizing this Electoral Laws Amendment Bill. As members are aware, as per agreement in the National Assembly Programming Committee of the 17th of February 2022, Parliament has approached the Constitutional Court for a six-month extension within which to process the Electoral Amendment Act. I would want to assure the public that both houses of Parliament are committed to processing this bill timelessly, whilst at the same time taking into account the necessity for thorough public consultation on a matter of such importance to our democratic dispensation. We hope that the president assent, will assent to the bill before the end of 2022. We must state categorically that there is no justification at all for recent attempts by some to cause public panic by suggesting that the general elections of 2024 are at risk. Having said that, it remains the duty we have to this democracy as parliament for every member in this house to work together to ensure the bill succeeds. Honorable members, with regards to oversight, oversight work remains a key pillar of the work of parliament. In this regard, many of our people would have been justified in their concerns on parliament's inability to exercise oversight and to hold the executive accountable. Of course, it should be understood that there were inhibiting circumstances, including both the COVID lockdown and the fire at parliament, which impacted negatively to, on, on the normal oversight uh, function conducted by members of parliament. The adjusted working model aimed at ensuring parliament's continued functioning during both the pandemic and fire disaster ensured that parliament's oversight work was never compromised. During this period, parliamentary committees embarked on 46 oversight visits and conducted 155 public hearings on various bills. Both houses held sittings that dealt with debates on issues of national importance, reports, policy, and bills. During this review period, parliament ensured that special attention was paid to its was paid to its role in the monitoring of the COVID-19 pandemic interventions by government, including the spending of public funds 
and the protection of basic human rights where there were reported instances of abuse. Parliament is committed, honorable members, to ensure that proper oversight continues, especially the important work of committees, despite the destruction of much of our facilities during the fire in January. Committee rooms, limited, while limited are available for committees to meet physically, what is however lacking at the moment are hybrid enabled committee rooms. This and other matters relating to the resumption of physical meetings by committees will be discussed with the House chairpersons for committees. As for physical sittings of the National Assembly, Currently, the Good Hope Chamber is the only venue we are able to use without incurring huge costs. While the capacity of the venue is limited, it has to be stated that currently the number of members who attend sittings physically has not even reached the prescribed number of 120. Discussions with the National Treasury are taking place at, at officials level regarding the various expenditure requirements for the business continuity of parliament following the disaster. Chairperson and honorable members, one of the key instruments of oversight function is questions to the members of the executive. During the year in review members, you submitted a total of 3,580 questions to the executive, 525 oral questions, and 3,055 written questions. There still remains a big challenge in this regard with many questions that are left unanswered for long periods beyond the provided deadlines. In 2021, the National Assembly adopted a mechanism for monitoring delayed replies to questions. In terms of this mechanism, the speaker receives a report at the end of each quarter regarding outstanding replies. The speaker addresses the matter in writing with the leader of government business and the affected ministers. Amongst other things, the speaker requires of ministers to give reasons for their failure to reply. As the mechanism was applied for the first time in the third term of 2021, and I only recently addressed a third round of letters to the executive in this regard. So its effectiveness is being assessed, but we are certainly moving in the right direction. Honorable members, with regards to the Zondo Judicial Commission on State Capture Report, to date, the president has submitted four out of the five reports of the Commission on State Capture. The final report will only be presented to the president on the 15th of June 2020, and thereafter the implementation plan will follow four months afterwards. Based on legal advice received, parliament has already commenced work on the third and the fourth reports. Members implicated while serving as members of parliament and though who are still MPs have been referred to the Joint Committee on Ethics and members' interest to consider the allegations in order to determine if there was a breach of ethics code. The research unit of parliament has been tasked to analyze the reports with a view of advising the relevant oversight committees or the rules committee once final report and implementation plan has been submitted. 
this work will form informed decisions of the Rules Committee in relation to possible action to be taken under the Powers and Privileges Act against implicated individuals who are no longer members of Parliament. Honourable Members, the Secretary to Parliament has also been tasked with ensuring that members receive adequate training on key financial legislation to avoid oversight failures highlighted by the Commission in relation to Parliament's role. Only once the entire report and implementation plan is before Parliament will the Rules Committee decide on how best to proceed with the processing thereof. Chair and honorable members, with regards to our international engagements, in line with our obligations for international solidarity and cooperation, Parliament continued to implement its international relations program objective. International solidarity was in particular the most basic requirement in the world's efforts to effectively fight and reverse the devastating effects of COVID-19 global pandemic. Despite the continued travel and gathering restrictions globally, the South African parliament managed to participate in various multilateral structures, including the following. The 49th SADC Parliamentary Forum Plenary Assembly, fourth ordinary session of the Pan-African Parliament, seventh parliamentary speakers summit, 143 and 144th inter-parliamentary union assembly, 51st Commonwealth Parliamentary Association Conference. We are pleased about the impact of our participation in these engagements and what they have come to mean for our parliament and the position of our country globally. As members are aware now, following the resolution of the 144th Assembly of the IPU, I was amongst other speakers who were appointed by the IPU to the task force on Ukraine and Russia. This task force forms part, forms part of the global legislative effort to bring about a peaceful resolution to the current conflict between the two countries. Some of us in, the, in this house have over many years schooled in the philosophy that a free South Africa would always embrace peace and friendship amongst nations. What that meant was that force and wars are highly destructive to humanity, especially towards women and children. In the circumstances we learned, it was always, and even now it is our position, that peace and impartiality are paramount in the resolution of any conflict. Mediation, therefore, is part of the measures we use for conflict resolution and post-conflict reconstruction. Our delegation was also instrumental in the finalization of the IPU assembly resolution calling for vaccine equity in the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic. It is therefore important for South Africa to see how best it can implement this resolution through the Portfolio Committee on Health. It is alarming, though, to learn of the disparities of vaccination statistics as reported by the World Health Organization. I think it's important that I should make, because this, in all the meetings which I've attended now, there is a concern about the low rate of vaccination in our continent. If you look at the statistics, you will see that Europe is at 80, 69, 
Latin America at 76, Asian Pacific at 79, US and Canada at 79, Middle East at 56, and Africa is at 22. Now, that talks to this issue of vaccine nationalism. Here in South Africa, I was checking this morning, and I now know that we are at 18%. We have 18, we have vaccinated 18,000 people. So we are doing well. Million, 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 thank you very much. We have vaccinated 18 million adults in South Africa. And it is very important that as members of parliament, we should go out and encourage more people to vaccinate. Under audit performance chair, we are pleased once again to report that parliament continue to achieve, continues to achieve a clean audit for the seventh consecutive year. Also critical to note is that despite the declining fiscal allocations caused by deteriorating economic conditions, the control environment remains strong as the audit committee, internal audit, and the risk management capacity progressively improved. The speakers forum, as the current coordinating body for the governance of the sector, has continued to function and meet regularly to oversee the process of consolidating this sector. The initial ideas of legislatures organizing themselves into a sector the South African legislative sector has come a long way from operating as a simple association to being formally organized on the strength of a memorandum of understanding. Since then, the need for a strong, self-standing legislative sector as an distinguishable arm of the state has gained further momentum. The Speakers Forum has focused on a mission to further formalize the South African legislative sector beyond the memorandum of understanding to a draft legislative sector bill that will culminate into an act of parliament. The forum has also identified the area of support to presiding officers of parliament and provincial legislature as a strategic area of intervention. To this end, the speakers forum has developed a presiding officers handbook that was adopted in its last meeting held in April, 2022. The importance and benefits of a capacity building program for elected public representatives remains an important part of our commitments. The current capacity building program for members, facilities, formal education, facilitates formal education opportunities from the level of undergraduate diplomas for qualifying members all the way to the level of masters. The speakers forum continues to take pride in the results that have been produced by this program since inception. However, honorable members, it remains important to provide training to members on short courses at reputable institutions of learning to empower us in our oversight work. For instance, specialization is necessary in the different areas of oversight, which, even be, which would even be of use to the life, to our lives beyond parliament. Honorable members and chair, to you chair, the South African Parliamentary Institute was launched on the 9th of December, 2021 by the South African legislative sector, providing a beacon of hope for the accelerated development of the requisite human capital. The Institute boasts 
a board of directors with eminent persons from the sector and a number of industries. Honorable members, the strategy of the sixth parliament is oriented towards ensuring more responsive and accountable government. The strategic plan and annual performance plan of parliament as tabled last year, set out the required change initiatives for the next few years. These institutional strategic initiatives include the following, an oversight plan to coordinate oversight priorities and activities of committees, a public participation strategy to enhance public information, access, participation, a knowledge management strategy to manage information and knowledge for the benefit of members, the digital strategy allowing the implementation of modern technology, a human resource strategy to unleash capacity and skills, a facility management strategy for the future accommodation for members of parliament following the fire disaster. Honorable members, Chairperson, we present a budget within the context of a change in economic landscape, both here at home and globally as a result of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. The 2022-23 budget for parliament therefore is set against the backdrop of declining budgets in the state as a whole. There are also other emerging issues and risks that will need action. These include adjusting to the reality of a reduced budget and addressing the aging technology infrastructure. Chair, the impact of the fire disaster meant that Parliament continues to utilize alternative facilities to host the joint sittings and the sittings of the National Assembly. And these would include office accommodation for members and support staff. While we have all hope for a return to more normal parliamentary operations in 2022, the fire damage is necessitating the continued use of hybrid proceedings in order to fulfill the functions of Parliament. The Department of Public Works and Infrastructure have appointed an independent company to assess the damages caused by the fire. Parliament will study the report submitted after the assessment is finalized and a decision will be made on the best way forward. Currently, the Good Hope Chamber is being used to house the sittings of the National Assembly. But there still remains a need to create additional space to accommodate full sittings for all members of the National Assembly and the joint sittings of Parliament. Parliament is considering various options for the alternative accommodation for sitting. However, honorable members, much as people are desperate to come back and be in physical meetings, I have noted that when we have these sittings, a number of members who should be occupying some of the seats which are, which are here are not available to attend sittings. But at every other meeting, the issue is, Speaker, when shall we have a sitting of all members of parliament, a physical sitting? So other people don't like this hybrid. Uh, but the point is, even the few, the 120 seats that we have, we are unable to fill our, our location, our allocation. We will also receive a presentation of the feasibility study, which was conducted in 2018 on the relocation of parliament from its current premises in Cape Town. The report will be shared with members of parliament before a decision is taken on the future 
seat of parliament. And I do want to make this point, honorable members. It is in the constitution that parliament, the parliament seat is in Cape Town. And I do want to say this, honorable members, let's not be subjected to pressure on this matter. This is a matter that will be decided by the nation, by South Africans. Not even parliamentarians will take a decision on the matter. We'll have to find a way of, when that time comes, of ensuring that South Africans have a voice when we deal with the matter. In 2020, the National Treasury issued budget guidelines for 2021-2022. Cheers. To 2023-2024, MTEF, indicating an almost 10% reduction of vote two. This reduction in the budget baseline requires mitigation steps to ensure financial viability and sustainability. It is very clear that if steps are not taken in correcting the allocation and in reducing expenditure, a significant budget shortfall could occur in the 2024-2025 financial year. While the overall budget appears to be significant for 2022-2023, the amount available for discretionary allocation is very small. This is because the accounting officer has limited control over the following allocations, and I list them in, in this budget. Direct charge for members' remuneration, transfers to political parties, permit payments, facilities for members, benefits for members, salary for former members, salary adjustments decided by the sector bargaining process, contingent liabilities. Those are some of the things the accounting officer have a difficulty with. The executive authority will consider specific proposals soon with regard to the restructuring of our budget, especially in relation to these expenditure items. It is our view that as currently structured, the permit is not financially viable and is costly. Not just parliament, it's costing not just parliament, but individual serving members a lot, as they are practically having to subsidize for retired members. The allocation of political, and therefore my, the issue here, why am I raising the matter? My view is that honorable members, we should really push for permit to be opened up, to go out and compete in the market with other uh, medical aid schemes so that at least there is some relief on our side because what is happening is that we're throwing in a lot of money. It must start generating revenue outside of the members of parliament. It must compete with the others. And, and this is a matter which we would like members to pursue in our discussion. The allocation of political parties allowances into the baseline of parliament has continued to cause a lot of problems as parliament is having to carry adjustment costs as a result of the shortfalls in budget allocation by National Treasury. Despite the existence of clear rules and formula to calculate these allowances annually. This is a matter I'm discussing with the Minister of uh, Finance. I'm really pleading, he knows we are on our knees, that we would rather have the allocation to political parties out of our baseline and the permit thing out of our baseline. 
the composition of the budget should be reviewed to reflect the commitment to build a capable and viable legislative sector in the interest of our democracy and real accountability for executive actions. Chair, the total budget obligations for Parliament as submitted to the National Treasury was 2.757 billion. The allocation received from National Treasury amounts to 2.683 billion. This means that we have a shortfall for the amount of 74 million that will have to be funded by retained earnings and revenue of Parliament. This shortfall is largely driven by the compensation of employment uh, baseline, uh, compensation of employment. The baseline reductions were introduced by Treasury. National Treasury allocation for compensation of employees amounts to 896 million, whilst the actual expenditure is in fact 1150 billion. The baseline reductions have reduced significant strain on the budget of parliament and will need to be addressed by cost-saving measures that parliament has already initiated, including a revision of travel policy, voluntary early retirement dispensation, and organizational re uh, realignment. Inflation is also expected to increase by more than 6%. This is in addition to the lifting of COVID restrictions that will further drive up the cost of Parliament's goods and services. Budget of Parliament as allocated. Program 1, administration, 776 million. Program 2, legislation and oversight, 754 million. Program 3, associated services and transfer payments to political parties, 755 million. The Parliamentary Budget Office, a separate entity in terms of the Money Bills Amendment Procedure and Related Matters Act, receive a, receives a transfer payment under Program 3 and will need more funding over time to function effectively. As I conclude, Chair, I want to thank the management and officials and this, for the sterling work they continue to do under the circumstances that could only be defined as daunting and at times almost impossible. I also want to thank you for your support as I was being ushered in. And as I continue, as you are aware, we have now passed the resolution approving the appointment of a new secretary to parliament, Mr. Kolile George, who we hope should start his duties soon after a protracted period of time without an incumbent for the position. Mr. George joins us in the gallery today as a guest to observe today's proceedings of the budget vote. Allow me, Chair, to specifically extend, to extend mine and the institution's gratitude to the current acting secretary of parliament, Ms. Kiawa, for standing in and leading the administration over the past few years and for her work in keeping the ship steady. We are confident that once Mr. George resumes duty, he will, as the first order of his job, move to fulfill in, to fill in all the vacancies that exist at management level in order to stabilize the leadership and governance of the institution. I also want to thank my fellow presiding officers, leaders of parties, chief whips, and each one of you honorable members for the reception and support 
that you have given me following my election to the role of speaker. Your inputs, support, and spirit of cooperation in these past months have meant a lot to me during one of the most volatile periods for parliament and our country. Chairperson, I now call on this assembly to support this budget vote too. Diabulele, goes. I will now recognize the Deputy Chief Whip of the Majority Party from the ANC. Thank you. Bingelelexomloma, Esfunza Honorable uh, House Chairperson, I want to begin my address with the words of Talal Abu, Abu Ghazalel when he asserted that the foremost challenge is that of the knowledge revolution. Economic power will depend on creativity and innovation. Creation of wealth will move from traditional resources to the one asset, knowledge. As we debate the budget vote of parliament, it is a budget which should enable us to appropriately reposition parliament as one of the three arms of state as we strive to give expression to the values and principles of people's power within the legislative uh, arm and governance by the will of the people. Parliament's budget gives us the opportunity to reiterate and give expression to the compelling principles of transformative constitutionalism, particularly during the current epoch of struggle, where parliament must in earnest execute its constitutional function to improve the quality of life of the poor and marginalized. <laughs> Good thing. Simalunga e palamente. No maskat siye sabamati magakulu. Satolagala ishile i palamente. Swatile gutsisi sebende. Swende umsebenduwe tunjangoba i ushom seto segela. Swatile ugutsi. Sisangane le tinju le timbilita se palamente tasangana konala. Gule good hope chamber. Angege sagvuma si ANC. Gutsu tolagale. 
gumoshwe imali lekufanele yende imithetho lekufanele isapote emalunga epalamende ukuthi ende msebenti yayo njengokusho kwemthetho sekela ngekuthi kubukwe letinye tindzawo letinkulu lapho sitotholakala khona sihleti singayigcwalisi nalena lencane indlu sithi singi ANC yangeke sakuvuma lokho angeke kwendeke not under our watch as we delved into deeper understanding of the role of parliament during the current epoch of struggle, the perspective of the former uh, Chief Justice of South Africa, Justice Pius Langer, provide a compelling under, underpinning, a, a compelling underpinning objective on South Africa's constitution, particularly as we strive to ensure that parliament functions more effectively and efficiently as a center of people's power and people-driven uh, governance. Through his articulation of the concept of transformative, of transformative constitutionalism, Justice Langer asserts that South Africa's constitution is centrally framed for purposes of transformation. In his paper titled Transformative Constitutionalism, he makes reference to the, to the postemble to the inter, of the interim constitution, which he asserts, which is which uh, expresses the pinnacle objective of South Africa's constitution, which, pardon me, he makes reference to the postemble to of the uh, interim constitution and also expresses the pinnacle objective of South Africa's constitution to bring about transformation and equality in order to uproot the remnants of an oppressive past. The postemble, as quoted by uh, Justice Langer, clearly asserts that the underlying imperative of South Africa's constitution is to provide, and I quote, a, histor a historic bridge between the past and a deeply divided society characterized by a strife conflict, untold sufferings, and injustice, and a future founded on the recognition of human rights, democracy, and peaceful coexistence and development uh, opportunities for all South Africans, irrespective of color, race, class, uh, belief, or sex. Within this broader context, the function of parliament is to ensure that it executes its oversight and ac accountability responsibilities in order to create a more equal society where the previously marginalized can make access to the better quality of life. The mandate of parliament is therefore also to accelerate the transformation agenda as guided by the provisions of the constitution through strategic and outcome-based oversight and accountability, as well as through the precepts of an activist people's parliament. It has also widely been accepted that distributive economic justice will require from the legislatures and executive the kind of activism that will promote strong participatory economic development where the economic potentials of the majority are unblocked and economic self-management is enhanced. These imperative developmental objectives must remain as, a centra as central in, in the current epoch of struggle, where our oversight machinery must ensure that we strategically engage 
the executives so as to ensure that we accelerate the realization of our developmental objectives despite the resource challenges we are facing as a country. The legislative arm of of the state must ensure through its oversight and legislative rule that there is speedy rollout of basic services to the people by passing the appropriate legislation that speaks directly to the needs of the people and which will directly benefit them. The ANC, um, the ANC uh, General Council on its transformation uh, of state government governance also said that uh, a conscious legislature is one which understands the oversight It's one that understands that oversight is a continuous act in which there is a reinforcing working relationship between the legislature and the executive, ensuring that ANC government policies and programs are implemented effectively and efficiently, that decisions are taken and legislation that, and leg, that decisions that are taken and legislation that is passed must result in a better life for all. This assertion gives a clear direction on the strategic role that must be played by the legislative sector and parliament in particular to meet the demands of the people, bearing in mind that the COVID-19 pandemic has severely impacted South Africa's economy and has severely impacted the country's developmental trajectory. We must ensure that we effectively coordinate our inclusive growth interventions to create employment opportunities and a better life for all. The legislative sector must therefore employ every effort necessary to play a more strategic oversight and strategic lawmaking role to ensure that it becomes increasingly responsive to the needs of the people, particularly the poor and marginalized. Within the context of a shrinking budget for parliament, it becomes more critical that the administrative arm of parliament moves away from an insulated perspective of providing a purely administrative support to members of parliament. It must consistently remain cognizant that the work of the legislative sector is particularly driven by the the resolve to advance the the realization of the principles of of the principles and provisions of of a developmental state. That means that a consistent move towards transformation of the facets of governance across the state machinery, particularly to improve the quality of life of the poor and marginalized, must remain as a central motivation of support provided that the bureaucratic apparatus of parliament, provided by the bureaucratic apparatus of parliament. My apologies, uh, honorable members, my eyes today, I don't know what's happening, I can't see clearly, yeah. Hence, the capacity to be both administratively judicious must be underpinned by a keen appreciation of socioeconomic and economic landscape, which shapes and defines the needs of our people, which must be well understood across our 
As I conclude, Honorable Chairperson, I want to take this. The ANC supports the budget and also to thank the acting secretary to parliament for the sterling work that she did of holding the fort during the most difficult time of our... I thank you. Thank you. From the DA, we will call the Honorable Chief Whip of the Opposition, Memasoni. Honorable Members, Madam House Chairperson, Honorable Glakude, we know that you've had a terrible cold and you shouldn't be here, and I applaud you for coming to work, even when you're sick, when we see these empty benches. But you've had your vaccine, so we know that you're safe, just like I've had my vaccine, and I know I'm safe. Just as we thought a new year would bring hope and prosperity, a mere two days in, we watched our beloved home catch fire and burn down. To see it was heartbreaking, and knowing that things would never be the same again was almost too much to fathom. I remember standing with the Honorable Steve Swart handing out water to the firemen, and I said to, to Steve, if you don't mind, at the time, I said, will we ever be able to go back home? And Steve quoted out of the Bible, and he said, home is where your family is. And as long as we stay a parliamentary family, we will rebuild and rebuild, we certainly will. Zoom has been a solution, but with so many MPs scattered in such far-flung areas, it remains a huge problem for our democracy to be in full action when we cannot be seated together. As always, the resilient South African heart has prevailed but it has left too many loopholes to hold the executive account as well as the dreaded mute button which takes away our right to speak and on issues that need to be fleshed out. Honorable Papo, I must say this to everyone here today. Besides the time that I had COVID, which was very weak because I had been immunized correctly, we have been in this chamber together every day. And I cannot agree with you more every time you insist that this chamber must be filled to capacity. We should all be back at work, and not only 120 of us, every single chair and table that we can put in here should be filled with members. Parliament is not in a good way. I'm not only referring to the building. With staff having no offices, Institutional, lost for, institutional knowledge lost for life, and general chaos as to sittings, to do no venues, to do our work, we are in a bad space. Honorable Mantashe, I'm happy to say we have the lights on today. Accountability of Parliament to the people is hanging by a very thin thread. I, as the Democratic Alliance Chief Whip, am proud of my members who mostly paid themselves to take on oversight during the period of the COVID battle. My colleagues, you are my heroes for going to check on schools, hospitals, clinics, the KZN crisis, the crisis at the border. These things you did on your own, on your own budgets. And I'm proud of my leader who has gone to the Ukraine and to Somaliland 
to see what is going on firsthand. And long may that kind of accountability reign when we are in struggling periods. The more questions we submit, Madam Speaker, the less questions we receive answered. The more we insist the executive to appear before us, we land up having Zoom conversations. We with who knows who's assisting the relevant minister with the answer. This year, we have only had one session with each cluster, and we are already at the end of the second term. We are really going to need to improve this. This is not accountability. This is running from a problem that will simply grow and lead to more distrust and concern with members of the South African public at large. We need to become resilient enough to accept that snap debates on the floor are international best practice. For a reason, we should not depend on a weekly meeting where we have to grovel for national debates of importance. If we have nothing to hide, any member in this House should be able to stand up and answer a snap debate. It happens everywhere in the world, but not in South Africa. Parliament should address these issues before the opposition has to push and become nasty and wait with bated breath for answers to be given. We still lack basic services required to execute our jobs. And Madam Speaker, hearing you say that our financial situation is as bad as it is really breaks my heart because I don't think that we have enough things like researchers. And the researchers that we have, I don't think are evenly spread throughout Parliament. And I'm sure many of the smaller parties will agree with me that we are desperate for researchers and that there are people walking around whom we have no idea what they do except accept large polystyrene boxes full of food that they take home for them and their families. And that's not what we are here to do. We can afford our own food and we can make our own scuftons. I must take this opportunity to, however, to thank the National Assembly table staff for always being at hand to assist with issues, spearheaded by Mr. Castle and his team of professional, independent and knowledgeable people. This is a great service to us and one that we don't take lightly. We hereby extend to you, sir, and your team our greatest thanks. Madam Speaker, I hope that you will write a letter on behalf of the Democratic Alliance congratulating the NA table on all they do for us, even if you phone them at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night, which Mr. Council experienced this very week. I'm sorry, sir, and apologize to your wife for me. We are still lagging far behind many countries when it comes to updating and the processing of legislation. Parliament is the legislative arm of government, but still so many few pieces of legislation are completed, and all private members' bills are ignored if they don't have the ANC name on it. This cannot be denied. I myself have offered up a bill and said, take my name off the bill, add your name to the bill, but let's work for the country. We have to accept we are in a bad way. Acting secretaries, Confusion over contracts, calling of leaders of parties to the speaker, generic contracts being sent out. This parliament is not a well-oiled machine. And Madam Speaker, I do not blame this all on you. You took over something that was already struggling. I would be remiss not to mention the danger we are putting our members in every time we have an oversight to undertaken. We have had accidents, one of which has been fatal. The drivers drive too fast 
And it is because they are instructed to move at speed because programs are not timed properly. And here, members must take responsibility too. You, because member. if your program director says to you, be ready at seven, be ready at seven. Thank Ma you. Mabaroto, as I end, to be in parliament is an honor. It is time to regain the honor of parliament you, and make South Africa Masini. proud of its natural stage. I thank you. Honorable from the EFF will now recognize the Honorable Nkanguini. Thank you very much, um, House Chair. The EFF projects the proposed budget for Parliament. Section 55 of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa gives the National Assembly power to initiate or prepare legislation. The ability to initiate or prepare legislation is one of the two powers that the Parliament has. The reality is that Parliament does not have the capacity to initiate or prepare legislation. And there's no practical and implementational plans to build capacity. Instead, Parliament is expected to just wait and the rubber stamp bills introduced by the executive. In the last 13 years, Honorable Papo, the National Assembly have passed a total of 338 bills, of which 93% of these bills passed were bills introduced by the executive. Since 2009, Honorable Papo, the National Assembly have only passed one bill introduced by a member of this House. What a shame. This is not because Parliament um, members do not have ideas or social challenges that can address legislation. Since our arrival in Parliament in 2014, we, as the EFF, wanted to amend the Constitution to allow land expropriation without compensation, amend the South African Revenue Reserve Bank to act to nationalize the central bank, amend the Bank's Act, of 1990 to allow state-owned companies to apply for a full commercial banking license, amend the National Health Act to allow for clinics to open 24 hours, amend legislated, uh, the Liquor Act to ban alcohol advertising, initiate a general anti-tax avoidance bill to deal with the aggressive of tax avoidance, and this is where Mr. Cyril Ramaphosa must listen, introduce Insourcing bill to ensure that government departments and state-owned entities insource workers of all reoccurring functions. But Parliament lacks sufficient capacity to facilitate the development of these bills. The bills of the Nationalized Reserve Bank have been before the committee for almost three years and is not moving because Parliament's bill office does not have capacity. After we have raised the matter with the National Programming Committee, we have submitted a practical and implemental way forward to, on how to build capacity to initiate and prepare legislation by members of parliament. House Chairperson, the time has come for us to break the pack with the colonial... Honorable Pub. And the time has come to break the, the pact that we have with the colonial and apartheid uh, Cape Town as the seat of parliament. 
as members of parliament. On the 27th of May, government gazetted and published a notice of intent to introduce a private member's bill, namely relocation of parliament bill. We must relocate parliament to Tswane in Gauteng. This is the only way <clears throat> we'll ensure that parliament is accessible, promote and participate in lawmaking. The only way we will save money spent on ministers, state officials and members of parliament endless travel to and from Cape Town. We must not even waste money to rebuild parliament. We must take the fire as a sign of opportunity to the final relocate parliament. We must bring to an end to those inflated renovation contracts of parliamentary villages used to fundraise for ANC factional conferences. Lastly, House Chairperson, we must rebuild the language service capacity of parliament to offer interpretation and translation of all official languages not only Africans. We must recruit competent researchers and competent uh, and content advisors, advisors who are not chairpersons and secretaries of the ruling party supports or to the support of all committees. All political parties must designate permanent members into international and multilateral parliamentary institutions such as SADC, Parliamentary Forum, Pan-African Parliament, Inter-Parliamentary Union and BRICS Parliamentary Forum, but also House Chairperson, Parliament must create a permanent platform where these delegates to, uh, delegates to these bodies must report because they, uh, currently there's no coordinated way to receive reports from these bodies, uh, Speaker. We must seriously consider the work of Parliament Budget Office Honorable Butelesi, even with legislation that empowers National Assembly to amend the proposed budget of the Minister of Finance. It has more than 10 years now that Parliament has not even made a single amendment to the Minister's budget. Instead of serving as a unit of National Treasury located in Parliament, Parliamentary Budget Office must conduct an overall assessment of role of Parliament since the Money's Bill and the related matters of 2009. There must be a clear offer of practical implementational ways forward to make Parliament's role in the budget purpose proactive instead of processing money that departments is already using. We know that the current leadership of the ANC does not either have the capacity of the competence competence to implement these ideas, Honorable Papo, they insist of employing cadres to top positions of managing parliament is the reason why this institution is rendered ineffective. This is why we'll never trust the recent appointment of the secretary to parliament. Furthermore, House Chairperson, we reject the bill and, the, and Mr. Cyril Ramaphosa must step down. He's a money launderer and he's a criminal, Honourable and he must Honourable. step down, and we'll oh. come for him. Honourable we will never Honourable. have peace in this house. Honourable I thank Tanguini. you. Honourable Tanguini, please, please wait there, because the hand was put out before you. you. Honourable Papa, please. Honourable Khadabe, you are up. Yes, Chairperson, I'm rising on rule 85. 
the member has cast aspersion on the president of the republic by assuming that he's a money launderer. He is. They found money under honorable 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 Tanguini, please don't respond to him. I will, I am here. Honorable member, you know that you cannot do what you have done without a substantive motion. Will you please withdraw what you have just said? What must I withdraw, Honorable House Chair? That to say that the president of the country is a money launderer. And uh, I must withdraw what? What that? you said. My conscience won't allow it. Honorable member. My please. conscience won't allow it. Okay. Please let me. You may just leave the house then. Thank you very much. Thank please you. leave the house. I won't. You will, you will see. His please day is leave coming. the house. I'm not going Chair. to call any speaker before you leave. Chair. Order, honorable members. Order. Order. Yes, honorable Papa. Chair, but is... this is not unacceptable. Member just made a statement calling the president a money launderer and a criminal. And there's no court decision on that matter. He does I am not want saying to accept. he must leave the house. He says he won't. No, I'm, I, it's me who will see to that. Don't worry about it. And then he doesn't say to us. Honorable Papo, I ask the honorable member to leave the house. Please. If there are any things you'd want to deal with, it's fine. That is how far I can go. <laughs> Honorable member, please leave. Honorable member, we proceed and call on the ISP and recognize the Honorable C. Honorable Sonji. Honorable Sonti, please mute that microphone. If you want to, to raise a point of order, I've got monitors in front of me. You can raise your hand. Don't shout in the monitor. Honorable Singh, please proceed. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. When Honorable Sanguini said lastly, I didn't think she will last, you know, so long, three minutes or so after lastly. But anyway, I want to agree with her on one issue, and that is that we as honorable members of parliament have really got to take our oversight work very seriously, especially when it comes to amendments to budgets. We have the power in terms of Financial Management Act, and we are not exercising that power. And we really need to look at the timetable that's in the act so that we can amend the timetable and give the Minister of Finance enough time, the Portfolio com uh, Committee enough time, because on all budget votes, on most of them, we've come here, Honorable Chairperson, complaining about the fact that some departments, uh, Honorable Speaker, some departments are underfunded, they need more money for X and Y. We have the power to make those amendments, and we are not doing that. And I hope you will lead us in that regard, uh, Honorable Speaker, as we move forward. But unprecedented is becoming a familiar term these days. We certainly live in interesting times. Firstly, with the advent of the COVID-19 pandemic and then the president's announcement of government's decision to lock down South Africa on 26 March. And then we had the state of disaster until 5th April 2022. And we know what happened after that honorable chairperson and speaker. It necessitated a parliamentary scramble 
and a deep dive into the fourth industrial revolution and internet of things. As members of parliament, support staff and government officials grappled with the challenges of remote work forums and physical hybrid parliament sittings. Then at the beginning of this year, the parliamentary precinct was tragically set aflame. The inferno taking firefighters three days to bring under control and finally extinguish. The extent of the structural damages is still uncertain, but I think it is safe to say that it will be years before the damaged part of the precinct, which houses the NCOP, Old Assembly, Chamber and National Assembly, will be operational once again. As ever, our thanks must go to the parliamentary staff contingent, parliamentary IT and the table staff who have had to adapt to the new physical working environment and ensure the smooth flow of parliamentary plenaries yet again. Uh, also, we had the problem of public inaccessibility, and this is something that uh, we need to address. Honorable Chairperson, with COVID now on the way to becoming endemic, we must be investigating options to reopen in some physical form as a people's parliament. All political party leaders should be consulted and notwithstanding the fact, Honorable Speaker, that even in this chamber, we can't fill the chamber. We've got to have a parliament which can house 400 people. And we must consider seriously across the road, as we've been talking about, and even if it means a steel structure, which is semi-permanent, I believe that structure can still be used after Parliament is rebuilt, the existing burnt building, because we've always been short of space here in Parliament for committees, etc. And, and, and I think we must have a, a more permanent structure across the road. Uh, Chairperson and uh, Speaker, it's also essential that uh, we, we, we ensure that the staff contingent is up to date. And in this respect, we welcome the appointment as we did before. Uh, the appointment of the new Secretary of Parliament, Mr. Kolila George, as well as thank Ms. Chawa for her term as acting secretary under difficult circumstances. And we hope that we look forward to greater stability in the management of parliament as the institution moves forward. I also want through you, Chairperson, thank the Honorable Speaker for the forum that you created where leaders of political parties were invited to make inputs. I think it's something that we must uh, look forward to moving forward. However, you mentioned, Honorable Speaker, uh, through your chair, the question of the Zondo Commission. And yes, it is true that in the report of the Zondo Commission, there were shortcomings or failings of Parliament that were pointing out, pointed out. And we really need to apply our minds on how we are going to correct these failings, which are our failings. And one of the failings, uh, Honorable Speaker, is the question of oversight of the executive. And when one looks at the Constitution, and we've been talking about this and some other parties as well, and my leader, Prince Mutalezi, ad nauseum, that every department should have oversight. But there is one department from 1994 that does not have oversight, one vote, and there's a vote of the presidency. Now, I know in a couple of days' time, we are going to go into the vote of the presidency, and you're going to hear this being said by honorable members, that there has to be oversight of that vote because Treasury allocates the funds. And in terms of the Constitution, we have to oversight every department. So, uh, Honorable Speaker, I hope you can lead us in that regard to make sure that the Rules Committee, which you said to me in one committee, must prioritize that. Finally, Chairperson, according to a recent survey by Afrobarometer, only 27% of South Africans state that they have faith in Parliament. Democracy and the institutions that uphold democracy appear to be in decline, and not just in Africa. Trust in democratic governments is slipping the world over. This presents us not with a challenge, but rather an opportunity 
to turn the tide, take restorative action, and rebuild our faltering institution to its former glory of 1994. The IP supports the budget vote. Thank you. Thank you. Honorable members, we shall proceed. I recognize Honorable Muda from Beshwa Platform. Is he here? Okay. No. From the, from the house, physically in attendance. Yes. Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Speaker, colleagues, today we are dealing with the budget of Parliament. Now, <clears throat> Chapter 4 of the Constitution deals with Parliament, and Sections 42 quite clearly states the following, that Parliament consists of two houses, the National Assembly, that's us, and what are we supposed to do? We are elected to represent the people. So the members of Parliament, or from the National Assembly specifically, are the representative, elected representatives of the people. And we are supposed to do the following in terms of the Constitution. We are supposed to choose a president. We are supposed to provide a national forum for public consideration of issues. We are supposed to pass legislation and we are supposed to scrutinize and oversee executive action. And then there's the second house, National Council of Provinces. And what do they do? They, that house represents the provinces. So with these two houses, all the people in the country are represented either the people themselves or the provinces. On the other hand, chapter five deals with the executive. The executive, on the other hand, is not representative of all the people. The executive obviously would be representative of a specific political party, be that the governing party. That's why parliament is so very important because we as the two houses represent the people. My concern, Chairperson, and uh, Honorable Singh just now referred to that in terms of the perception of the public is not all that positive about our institution. And I'm sorry to say, but I think our institution to a certain extent is in a crisis. Parliament has not been spared from the budget cuts introduced by the National Treasury across the board. In the 2021-22 financial year, Parliament's allocation was reduced by 256, 65, sorry, 265.7 million. And in 2022-23, in that financial year, it will be further reduced by 338 million. Without adequate funding, Parliament cannot do its job. Obviously, it's a tragedy that so many billions of rands were lost and stolen in the last 28 years. We could have made very good, effective use of that. Honorable Speaker, you referred to the fire, and a number of co colleagues referred to the fire that devastated Parliament. We don't have a normal parliamentary term. The first basically three years, well, almost three years, were absolutely overshadowed by the COVID pandemic. That didn't make it possible for us to meet. And now, now we don't have a precinct. We don't have a building. We all know how Parliament is supposed to function in terms of debates, in terms of colleagues meeting one another in the corridors, those kind of things are not happening. And unfortunately, we all know that it didn't happen by incident. It didn't, Parliament was not struck by lightning or something. The facts will come out, but I think there's a lot of negligence perhaps involved. Colleagues referred to the capacity of this building, 120 members, and that it's not filled up. It's our own fault that it's not filled up. 
parties can take a decision tomorrow at the Chief Whips Forum and just implement that when we come back, that every party takes responsibility for their members and make sure that we've got a capacity in here. Honorable Speaker, you referred to Parmet. And I think from my perspective, I think the remarks maybe were unfortunate. The executive authority is represented in Parmet by way of the deputy speaker that acts as the chairperson of the board of Parmet. And I also find it quite strange sometimes when members refer to former members in the way that they do. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. All of us will also become former members. Just remind, remember that when we sometimes just refer to former members this and former members that. We're all going to become former members at some stage. Remember that. <clears throat> Honorable, <laughs> remember sometimes you don't retire, politics retire you. The fact of the matter is, Honorable Speaker, that Parliament's got to play the specific role. And it was mentioned, the, the number of bills that we've passed, etc. Obviously, we need to do much better as an institution. And we can do that. Honorable Speaker, you referred to the number, you, you gave us a numeric breakdown. It was so many questions, so many bills, etc., etc. But the real question is the quality of what's happening in here, in terms of the quality of debates. Are we really debating one another? The quality of replies, etc. I've argued in the past that we should bring back the whole question of interpolations. Interpolations are very nice, active debates where we debate these issues with one another. And I think that is also very important. The credibility of the institution and the credibility of us as members of parliament is not going to happen by itself. We will have to turn the perceptions about politicians, about members of parliament and the institution around, and that's a challenge for all of us. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you. Now I recognize Honorable Sort. Last year, the ACDP considers Poland's budget vote against a number of significant challenges, the first relating to the impact of COVID-19, and in our view, the limited role that Parliament was able to play, or no role, on the disaster management regulations and the extension of the state of disaster for more than two years. Now, it is highly regrettable that Dr. Grunewald's eminently reasonable private member's bill to give Parliament a greater say was not agreed, agreed upon by this House on what ACDP believes are flawed legal arguments. The sad part, um, Honorable Speaker, is that certain of the state of disaster lockdown regulations have now been included under the national health regulations, quite wrongfully in our view. And what is even more concerning is yet again, Parliament has no say over the contents of these health regulations. Now let's make it clear, once again, the ACDP remains opposed to mandatory COVID-19 vaccines. And we commend church leaders who have rejected those health regulations, saying it is vaccines through the back door. Pastor Ray McCauley has said, we will not subject ourselves and the people we lead to a vaccine mandate and deny them the right to worship. The ACDP agrees. Clearly, the second issue, Madam Speaker, relates to the devastating fire. And yes, we agree with you that we need to find a venue and to make sure that we're all back at work. If everybody else is working, schools are reopening, then we as parliamentarians need to set that example. And yes, I took a walk now to the NCOP section. It is looking beautiful, and we do believe that the billions will be need to be spent to rebuild this parliament in terms of the heritage legislation. We also, from the ACDP's perspective, have noted the Zondo Commission's uh, 
findings against Parliament. Obviously, there'll be more findings in the final report. And whilst there were a number of brave MPs across the political divide, Honorable Mazzoni will know, Team South Africa, that took on and exposed during the ESCOM inquiry, we did their best to expose state capture and corruption. Clearly, far more should have been done, and hence the apology from the Speaker to the Zondo Commission at that time. Speaker, the ACDP looks forward to Parliament implementing those corrective measures from the Commission's report. With regard to those areas where Parliament was found to missed out on its oversight function, and of course, where we will now have to exercise an oversight function looking at those areas where the executive also failed as set out in the Zondo Commission. Fail, um, lastly, uh, Speaker, what I would also like to raise is an issue I continue and concerned about is the tardy response of Parliament or from the executive to constitutional court deadlines placing enormous pressure on us. And we welcome the fact that some measures have been put in place to avoid that. Speaker, you referred to the Electoral Commission, but far more needs to be done that we don't sit with this pressure. Lastly, the ACDP would like to thank Speaker Yu, the Deputy Speaker, House Chairs, House Chairs, all staff members for their hard work and commitment. It's not been an easy time following the fire, but we greatly appreciate all that you all do to ensure that Parliament carries out its constitutional duties. Thank you so much. Well done with the clean order. I thank you. Thank you very much. Now I recognize Honorable Mkwankwa. Uh, thank you, House Chair. <laughs> Throughout the last term, we talked to this podium to decry the governing party's use of this august institution to contrarian aims to subvert checks and balances on, the, on executive power. Regrettably, our appeals to the governing parties uh, to ensure that the, this august house carried out its constitutional duties effectively fell on deaf ears. It was therefore no surprise for us when the Zondo Commission found that parliament failed in its oversight duty during the state capture period. We, speaker, we have written to you, my party leader has written to you, asking that a process be set in motion to inquire and to investigate the allegations that are made against the president where he is alleged to have laundered money and to have attempted to evade tax. I thought that after the realization of all the aforementioned, that South Africa is on the brink of becoming a failed state was enough to get us to back away from the precipice. However, after listening to our colleagues making all sorts of irrational arguments in defense of the president with respect to these allegations that relate to the theft of more than 4 million US dollars hidden at his farm, I, I felt a strong sense of deja vu. We have to be seen as this house to be acting in a manner that is similar to exactly what we did uh, whenever there were allegations against former President Zuma and this house. Otherwise, our substance on President Ramaphosa in light of the recent allegations reeks of hypocrisy. For our country's sake, this house needs to ensure that President Ramaphosa is held to account for the saga and that he is sanctioned appropriately for it. Failure to do so will lend credence to the perception that his government rules according to a mantra which was once attributed to former Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez, which is, to my friends, everything, for my enemies, the law. It is important that as parliament as the vanguard of the South African constitution, that we, 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 we also deal with the perception 
that the country fails while enriching the political elite and the politically connected few. Speaker, the private member's bills process is very cumbersome. It has to be streamlined and simplified in order to prevent executive dominance in the introduction of legislations that are before parliament. This is important in order for us to be able to ensure that as members of parliament we are able to introduce legislations that speak to the challenges that face our people on a daily basis. It can't be that our role as members of parliament is only to merely just comment on on legislations that are introduced by the executive, which then undermines the role of parliament as a legislative body. We keep on talking about the need to capacity parliament. When one considers all the requests for inquiries and investigations that are required to be done by parliament, it is important that parliament is given the necessary capacity to be able to inquire and conduct whatever investigations and to make recommendations that it can implement. Thank you, Honorable Kwanka, your time is up. Thank you so much. Honorable members who have been advised that good won't partake in this debate, we shall proceed to recognize Honorable Kaiso. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. Let me take this opportunity on behalf of the committee to thank the contribution of the outgoing secretary of acting secretary of the parliament as we welcome also the newly appointed uh, secretary of the parliament mr Kolile george the african national congress enters this debate conscious of the fact that a budget vote of parliament is about whether the transformation project of parliament is on track and whether we have the necessary financial resources to take that project to a higher level over the next 12 months. The the African National Congress orientation, therefore, is to transform the state machinery to serve the cause of social change. This is true of the parliament as it is central to contributing to the the democratic transition of our country as a tribune of the people. We are tasked to ensure that through our oversight and legislative role, there is a speedy rollout of meeting the needs of our people. The appropriate legislation that speaks directly to the needs of the people and will benefit them must be passed. Our role is is one that we understand that, that oversight is a continuous act in which there is a a reinforcing working relationship between the legislature and executive, ensuring that the ANC government policies and programs are implemented effectively and efficiently. In assessing the work of the administration, its performance and program, we are guided by the Parliament's strategic plan 2019-2024. Assessing the performance means that we need to use Uh, indicators of which nine of the 12 indicators that parliament use are new and do not have a benchmark established to measure them. What we can say is that the strategic leadership and governance program has witnessed far greater progress. Uh, 
and coherency from the office of the speaker has been extremely helpful and, and support structures that surround the office of the speaker have been have provided the necessary support. We have expressed ourselves at length over the past year on the matter of the parliamentary budget office. So what is lacking is a reference group to advise the executive authority on areas of work, uh, programmed research, etc. given that it, it reports to the executive authority. Equally, the governance structure of the PPO, uh, parliamentary budget office needs to demonstrate far greater leadership and guidance. We welcome the appointment in the Treasury Advice Office and we are encouraged by the recent advisory support that is coming from this office. With regard to the core business program of Parliament, we can only assess its performance in broad terms. The methodology of assessing performance in Parliament is not a qualitative way uh, of measuring performance. Instead of using conventional way of measuring performance, we are given a model that is deeply uh, flawed, that of member satisfaction. Until we move back to method methodology that is, a, that is a standard qualitative way of assessing performance, uh, all the 100% achieved, etc., will remain very hollow. More attention needs to be given by Parliament to ensure that members master subject that they, they have oversight responsibility for. This means Parliament needs to identify causes that will beat cap capability of committee members in their, in their oversight. It is insufficient for Parliament and its core business program to say, Quote, we seek to enhance oversight capacity. Unquote. When the evidence therefore is when when evidence therefore is lacking, an advisory uh, research and information services, we we welcome the legal support that has been given to committees. We want to suggest that far far more time is given to legal interpretation interpretation more advice in the area of legal interpretation is necessary. Not just legal explanation, since this is where uh, litigation against transformative legislation that we need to pass is contested. We have just emerged from the ANC caucus midterm review where we discussed at length moving parliament to an enhanced oversight model. Enhanced oversight is about qualitative shift in the oversight approach to focus on outcomes an impact assessment. This is done through the use of appropriate oversight tools and indicators. For the ANC, the non-attainment of policy outcome and poor impact can be traced to the weakness of performance information and reporting. This leads to oversight structures being more reactive than proactive due to lack of relevant strategic information. The fact that oversight is largely after the fact results in adequate monitoring of performance. The 2017th African National Congress, National Conference of the ANC on the oversight role of parliament noted that, quote, the oversight role of parliament will be re-examined so as to ensure an ANC progressive a consistent agenda is implemented in Parliament. 
We want to ensure consistency and robustness of parliament oversight role. In addition to exercising override, over, oversight over the executive, parliament must also turn its attention to matters affecting broader society. The critical question is how we move oversight to outcome and impact, uh, impact assessment. The legislative sector oversight model is inadequate in this regard. Two things need to happen. Parliament must move towards an outcome-based reporting system, not just target based on client satisfaction. Currently, we have a parliamentary system geared towards output. In addition, enhanced oversight means oversight over implementation, which should be outcome and impact oriented. One of the current matters before the parliament which has an impact on budget of parliament are the proposed amendments to the Financial Management of Parliament and Provincial Legislature Act. We are very conscious that this process has been going on since 2017 and that the Speakers Forum has established a committee on finance who originally initiated the bill back in 2005 the implications for oversight require that the Joint Standing Committee on the Financial Management of Parliament needs to, to be involved. It is not the Standing Committee on Finance that has oversight authority on the performance of Parliament. On the budget of Parliament, we have stated it before that the current arrangement is not uh, unsustainable, unsustainable and demeaning to the institution of Parliament. We cannot be treated as a vote of funds. Rather, the parliament must be part of determining uh, its budget, internal priorities and alignment uh, of its needs. There are specific items that currently create the shortfall in the budget of parliament. This needs to be addressed before the February budget next year, when the estimates of national expenditure are tabled. These matters are not within the control of parliament, but sit as a line item in the budget of parliament without parliament, without parliament having to say over the matters and are a major cause of the shortfall in the budget of parliament. They are permit, travel entitlement of former members of the executive, loss of office gratuities and political party allowances. We therefore call for the speedy resolution of these matters with the, with the National Treasury to enable Parliament to have a budget that address the actual needs of this institution, members of this institution, members and the people of South Africa. The ANC therefore supports this vote. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honourable Now I recognize Honourable Imam Sheikh. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. <clears throat> In order for Parliament to function effectively, it needs resources. And for that reason, the National Freedom Party will support the budget vote tabled here today. <clears throat> now, 
Honorable Speaker, I'm glad you are here. Allow me to thank you for the envi conducive environment you've created for us to engage each other of matters of concern and how we can work more effectively. But also allow me to thank particularly the table staff, the Office of the Secretary, the legal department, the ITC, members facility, and not forgetting, of course, Parliament travel. I think they all, under the current circumstances, have performed exceptionally well. However, Honourable Speaker, I want to raise a concern. <clears throat> Millions of rands are spent on oversight. And I think we raised this matter with you the other day. And what happens? We go on oversight visits. We identify the problem areas. We come back. We have reports in this house. We table them. We debate them. We adopt them. And then what? It goes into the bin. Absolutely nothing happens after that. There is no consequences. There is no accountability. And then the question that arises, what is the purpose of an oversight visit if there's not going to be accountability? If you notice, Honorable Speaker, that year in and year out, it's the very same repeat offenders that are failing us. And we do not do enough about it. You can have ministers coming and going, but there's no consequences for DGs, DDGs, CFOs, and things that are responsible for implementing these programs and projects. And we continuously give them bonuses and handshakes and praise them, but they are the ones that are actually failing us. Before a minister sets, settles in, it's almost time to move on. Honorable Speaker, smaller parties have a very difficult time in Parliament. And I'm not saying that larger political parties must have their time reduced, your opportunity. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's not acceptable that in an entire term, a smaller party cannot have an opportunity to have a motion tabled. I'm saying it's not acceptable, Honorable Speaker, that a smaller party in an entire term might not even have an opportunity to pose a question to the president. Under multi-party democracy, we all should be given that opportunity. And I want to reiterate, I know on the proportional representation system that larger parties are get greater benefits, and I'm not asking you to reduce that. Honorable Speaker, I want to just touch on one very sensitive matter. The Public Service Commission has pronounced and found Mr. Sitole guilty. A person, your staff in this parliament, committed suicide because of the way he was treated and so many other staff members. What is so important about this particular Mr. Sitole that we even go on and extend his contract? Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Now I recognize Honor of Jafta. The National Freedom Party supports the budget vote. Thank you. Thank you, Honor of Chair. Honor of Chair, this budget comes at a time when the role of parliament in our constitutional democracy is under an immense scrutiny. Criticism of lack of agency in passing legislation, appointing permanent CFO and secretary to parliament, including modernizing the work of parliament has come in handy. However, the real few questions are whether parliament has not one whipped the executive on policy implementation to rooted out the apartheid legacy through passing transformative legislative reforms, three, improved public participation in the lawmaking process, 
for obtained unqualified audits over successive years, five met its deliverables as contained in its strategic plans. Six improved its rules, its rules, structures, and system, and built in mechanisms to ensure that public views are reflected in the lawmaking processes. Honorable Chair, the questions are not exhaustive. These questions are not exhaustive. Our response to these questions is that Parliament has not performed dismally. Constitutional challenges to legislation passed by this Parliament have receded. Parliament continues to obtain unqualified audits. Parliament oversights visits to ESCOM, the SAPC, and the other SOEs have stood Parliament in good stead. Parliament has also passed progressive legislation to push back the frontiers of poverty. Just recently, we endorsed the appointment of the new Secretary to Parliament. We must, however, Honorable Chair, mention that Parliament must modernize its oversight model to respond to the growing demands of the fourth industrial revolution. Parliament must also improve its petitions, its petition functions to leverage the views and concerns of our people. Parliament must also look at adjusting the time allocated, as Honorable Sheikh Imam has said, to the smaller political parties. The last time adjustment was uh, affected was 13 years ago under, under Honorable Max Sulu. We, however, Honorable Chair, support this budget vote. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Now I recognize Honorable Kwakube. Chairperson, the marker of success for Parliament should never just be about the number of plenary sessions held, the frequency of public meetings, which are often hijacked by political parties who bust their supporters in, or even the amount of times that ministers come to read their responses to prepared questions in the House. It has to be more than that. The task is far greater for two reasons. One, South Africa has a painful history of racial segregation, which was legislated for in this very parliament. Parliament under apartheid, the apartheid government rubber stamped the most abhorrent laws against black South Africans. This shows you how powerful for good or for bad the institution can be. The second and perhaps the most urgent reason is the situation that South Africa finds itself in. It requires a legislature that is up to the task. Abandu Abandami Sebenzi in the millions, over 50% Yabandu Bahil Panzwe Meko Yenchupeko, Abandu Abakusile Kanga Gwindao Abashala Kuzo, Simane Sisiva, a crime statistic says Otusayo, Ogwingati, Aingo Bandu Ababulawayo, Okanya Bajwingulayo, Yonke Lendo, Yenzeka, Pansko Hulmende, Opetungumbuto, Oguz Misele, Ugupukana, Beulela, Izikunja, Uhulmende, who has presided over the greatest money heist under state capture since the dawn of democracy. All of these things require a parliament that doesn't relegate itself to simply being a captive audience for the executive when they bother to show up. The task is greater. 
the work is urgent and it is incredibly important. While the, situ the institution has managed its finances well and obtained a clean audit and clean audit outcomes, the yardstick for its effectiveness, Madam Speaker, lies with the people. Even as Parliament lies in ruins after the devastating fire earlier this year, the work of the two houses cannot depend on the existence of two buildings. In fact, now is the time to intensify our efforts to get Parliament working. Now is the time to rebuild both figuratively and literally. Many have said that the fire that gutted the Houses of Parliament is the true reflection of the state of the institution after it has been hollowed out over decades. Did the teeth of Parliament have been plucked out systemically and left a shell that has so much unused potential? The drafters of the Constitution and the Rules of Parliament imagined an institution that would have the muscle to deal with the most pressing issues of the day. We have equipped, we have been equipped with oversight mechanisms such as the Rules Committee, parliamentary inquiries, the capacity to draft laws that will benefit the people of the country we are meant to serve. However, over the past 10 years, Parliament has put, passed 40 bills which were brought before it by ordinary members versus the 312 bills which were brought by the executive. This signals a crisis, not of capacity, but of political will. A functional parliament would jump swiftly to deal with the findings of the Zondo Commission. Having failed to prevent the looting of billions of public money, we should make sure that those who are guilty of this crime are held to account. We should not have a chair of chairs in Mr. Cedric Frolic, who has serious allegations hanging over his head for his role in state capture, still actively presiding over the work of parliament until he is cleared. We should act with speed to demand answers from President Ramaphosa regarding the millions of rands that were found on his property. Questions about how, much, how this much money was allowed to be stored on a farm, how a suspect accused of theft was dealt with outside of the criminal justice system, and whether SARS is aware of this money are questions which should be coming from this House. Not No sitting president should simply go about his business and parliament sits idly. We should be summoning the, the, the minister of police, Begitzela, to come and account for the skyrocketing uh, crime statistics in our country. The bloodbath in our communities is something that this house should concern itself with. The institution should lead. I'm glad, Minister, that you are here and you are listening to it because it's not a laughing matter. This institution should lead the charge against the fight against poverty and unemployment. The very people who sent us here to represent them are suffering under the crushing pressure of a cost of living crisis and rising joblessness. The solutions to grow the economy and cushion South Africans against global factors must be coming from this house. Sound financial management of parliament will never make up for, for the lackluster attitude of MPs towards the work that ought to be done. The institution can run as smoothly as it wants, and still South Africans will be left wondering, where are the elected representatives? Where are they representing us? This is why this budget process, Madam Speaker, cannot just simply be another tick box exercise embedded in the parliamentary calendar. This is why that I implore all of you that we need to put party political interests aside when it comes to the work that we do here. Let us approach issues of accountability and government delivery as a united parliament 
so that we can have some hope of being able to rescue South Africa from the clutches of ruin. The oath that we took, the oath of office that each and every one of us here took requires us to be able to put those political differences aside. And when we walk through those doors, that we make sure that we are here and we're here to represent the people of South Africa and that we approach the work that is meant to be done here with the amount of impartiality that we need. Thank Honourable members, order, honourable members. We have been advised that Al Jama won't partake in this debate. Hence, we didn't recognise them. We shall proceed and recognise honourable Khadjebe. No, thank you, honourable chairperson the Speaker of the National Assembly, the ministers present, the members of this August House, the members of this August House, compatriots of the Republic. The African National Congress welcomes the opportunity okay, to okay. engage in what is referred to as the vote funds for Parliament. This vote is about us, public representatives, deployed to Parliament by our respective parties. To do our work, we are guided by our, our political principles. In the National Assembly, we are led by the Speaker and her deputy. What underpins the leadership is the support structures around them. And in the construct of this world, how that support structures are resourced. This takes us to the primary problem. Who determines the budget of parliament? How is it determined? Are we involved in its determination? And what should be the mechanism to determine the parliament's budget? And thereafter, the oversight needed to determine that the budget is properly utilized. We, work, we come in the, into this budget vote debate, welcoming the leadership provided by parliament, by the executive authority, but mindful of the fact that we, we face an ongoing contradiction that does not strengthen our work, but weaken it. Why do I say that? Because when you look back to the financial, financial year of 2010, the the budget of government was 835 billion. That of parliament was 1.5 billion. Fast forward to 2022, the budget of the sitting government is 2.16 trillion rand, and the budget of parliament is 2.6 billion. It shows that the budget of government has almost tripled, but that one of parliament has hardly doubled. So how will the parliament execute its duty? if it does not have required resources to ensure that it oversight parliament. That's why I said that we are, we are in serious trouble as the parliament of the Republic. So in the construct of what, of what we are tasked to debate today, we have some time raised the challenges of vote two. What is clear is that the favored top slicing model is a protracted discussion that is not taking us anywhere. Even though we have had different parties raising it, this principle that is correct, but after 11 years of trying this route, spending more time on it is just wasting our time. Rather, we need parliament. Rather, we need a parliament determined allocation. 
that does not come from the vote of funds, but rather a dedicated appropriation that has been determined by parliament itself. Not the mechanism that is currently used where there is a discussion between the administration of parliament and the executive authority. After that, the executive the administration of parliament speak with the, the, deals with the technical aspect of allocation with the national treasury. The outcome is what we have in vote two in the estimates of national expenditure with very little explanation. What clearly is unsatisfactory and calls upon all of those who have consciousness and vision to make the necessary proposal. We have priorities as parliament. The first priority is public participation. The second one is the, is the oversight, enhanced oversight of parliament. Programming requires increased resources. Research and innovation, and in particular, constitutional work, constitutional work that we have long spoken about. But when we look at the current budget, we have to be honest. The program of legislation and oversight is underfunded by 58 million rand. In the next financial year, it will be underfunded by 71 million rand. In the outward 24 25, it will be underfunded by 121 million. It means that the core function of parliament is going to be compromised. The core function of parliament is going to be compromised. That's why the ANC itself, in its Mangawung conference, made a clarion call that the legislature should be strengthened as part of building a developmental state. And number two, the legislature's, the legislature's oversight model and capacity should be improved. So how will that capacity be improved if the, the budget of parliament is declining the way it is happening now? But what is very important here, Chair, is that what then are the key fault lines in the provision of funding of parliament? And how should a parliamentary determination of budget not be, be a technical process? Mm -hmm. Clearly, parliament needs a new mechanism to determine the budget. A new mechanism in which we are affected by the budget should play a role in its determination. And having a thorough going process of the determination of it prior to its tabling. Specifically, the current budget of parliament is determined through the consultation with the national treasury and executive authority. This creates a challenge in the budget process. Greater attention needs to be given to the alignment of the budgetary calendars of both parliament and national treasury. On permit issue, the reality is that there has been a 200% increase in the main member contribution since 2008. Yet the actual increase in the salaries of members is a fraction of that since 2008. Therefore, in real terms, members are getting worse deal every year and matter is just compounding itself. It is grossly unfair for parliament to have to fund the obligations related to the previous members of the provincial legislatures. Parliament must provide the national treasury with a breakdown of the permanent responsibility so that the national treasury can engage with the provincial legislatures about their responsibility. But what is very important, Chair, around this is also the issue of the political party allowances. The problem statement lies in where the political party allowance funding responsibility should reside. Currently, it rests with Parliament, and there are contradictions in this. Besides, we, besides where it should lie, the actual internal parliamentary formula has to be reviewed so that the strength of each and every party is recognized in the process of allocation. In conclusion, the unsustainable expenditure level coupled with the structure and composition of the Parliament voter funds added to the key risk, key risk and constraints and the budget reductions all require major intervention between now and 2023. The Joint Standing Committee on Financial Management of Parliament must be seized with the going 
with this going forward, and we look forward to seeing a qualitative change that the quarterly reports that will be tabled going, for, going forward without a change. Without change, we are on an unsustainable growth. What is very critical with the current budget is that the very cost to employment is underfunded. It's underfunded on its own. So it means that the stuff that we have, the allocation we're getting from Treasury is not enough even to cover the salaries of the current staff. So we remember very well that any development state becomes a development state because of the staff which it is employing. Because if you have the staff which is not happy, you are not going to get the quality service. So that's why that as parliament, we must engage with Treasury and ensure with the, the committee of SCOA, the, the appropriation committee that we deal with these issues before the next budget of parliament of 2023. But what is very important here, Chair, is that I have to respond to certain issues which are raised here. The first one which I have to respond to is to congratulate the speaker in being part of the task force to resolve the issues of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Honorable speaker, you come from the, the, the African National Congress. In 1955, the African National Congress was very clear that there shall be peace and friendship throughout the whole world. It is the duty of us as this parliament to ensure that the conflicts of Ukraine are resolved in a peaceful way. That's why we are we were being appointed to be part of that task team. But what is also very important, Chair, the Honourable Speaker, is that the Joint Standing Committee on Financial Management of Parliament invited the South African Heritage Resources Agency so that we feel what are the processes which must take place when a, a, a heritage site like Parliament has been affected. It was very clear. According to the current law, even if we want to move, the first thing which we have to do, we have to restore that building. So it's our responsibility. Even when, even before we start discussing the issue of the movement of parliament from one, the issue that we must have resources to ensure that heritage site is restored to its former glory. But what is also very important, the, 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 that's what the Heritage Resources Council has, pro, uh, uh, has, uh, has guided us around. But on the issue of Memazoni, I think that we had very good and hardworking staff in this parliament. That's why that it is really rather very unfair that there are people, when we say that there are people who don't know what they are doing, that they only to take food back home. But what I want to advise you is that one, these staff members of parliament, they are the first to come to parliament in the morning, they are the last to leave. And then these things which we see that with this good audit reports which are coming out is because of the collective of the staff members of parliament. I think that we must give them the respect which they deserve. But what is also, what is coming through the opposition through the issue of the private members' bills is very critical. There's one bill which I really appreciated in the past term. That one which was coming from the ACDP, the former member, Honorable Duckley. She came with a bill which ensured that the fathers have paternity leave when, they are, when their wives are going into labor. That You can see that that bill was endorsed by parliament just like that because it fed up to the strategic plan of the entire government that there shall be equality. There shall be equality and there should be support for, for, for the females of this country. So when we come with a bill, which is adversarial, which is not going to help, we are not going to support it. I think that as the political parties here, we have a mandate from the various conferences. We have a program which we must execute. So when we come with a program, which is not going to be in line, which 
when they're going to come with a program which you are not going to campaign for with the other parties, we are bound your bills are going to be shut down. That's why I'm making an, another example. In the previous parliament, there was a committee bill that one of dealing with the extension of debt. Of debt, it came from the committee of trading industry. It was done and dusted because it was in the interest of everyone in the republic. So I think that what I'll advise the opposition is that please, if you've got bill, please market yourself properly. Market yourself properly. Go to the we must not be adversarial when dealing with these issues. On the issue of UTM itself, I gotta say UTM, who maintains the ANC. The NC knows what it is, what it is doing. I request that even the president of the republic has got a right for a true legal process. He said he's going to cooperate with the law enforcement agencies. So I don't think that as this parliament, we must put the cart before the horses. Was he charged? Was there, was he arrested? So why bring him here? Good upon. What? No, why bring him here before these things, when these things are still ventilated there at the court of law? You know very well that a person has got a right to protect himself. You cannot incriminate himself. Yeah. So, so what is also very important here is that the issue, the issue of the private members' bills is also very important on our side. Remember that when Ronald Reagan ensured that the sanctions were not imposed against apartheid South Africa. It was the Senator Dillam's bill, which ensured that the United States Congress imposed sanctions against South Africa. So we know the importance of the private members' bill, but we must not be hostile when dealing with that. Just market your bills properly, and they will get the support. So what I want to say is that on the side of, on the, side of the DA, Honorable when we say that we must put our Differences aside, I think that we must walk the talk. It cannot be double talk. You must do that first. Because how can we expect us to support you? The first thing you do, you attack the members of the ANC. It cannot be right. It cannot be right. So the issue here is that this parliament must work as a unit. But part of working as a unit is to treat each other with respect. Because Ubuntu begins there. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Honorable Speaker. We now call the Honorable Speaker. Close the debate. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Members, and I want to thank all members who participated in this debate. And I particularly want really to express a word of gratitude to those who have supported the vote. Allow me, honorable members, to respond to some of the issues which have been raised just by way of clarity. Starting with honorable Mazzoni, the matters which you have raised in relation to getting all members under one roof and the options we are pursuing of a modular structure are matters which we have presented to you. I know that these are matters which are being dealt with at the Chief Whips Forum, and I also am aware that I have briefed you at least at the level of the programming committee. It's not as though we are sitting and we're doing nothing. 
about finding alternative venue. Obviously, you are aware that we had been given various options. We, for instance, we have the Cape Town International Word Convention Center. We had the City Hall. We had uh, Cape Town, uh, okay, whatever it is. But the point is we've had to think through these issues. And at this point now, I'm aware that the team, the technical team, which is dealing with the matter, is looking and weighing options on building a modular structure. Which modular structure will be built within the parliamentary precinct in that the area which is which has been identified belongs to parliament. Now, obviously, if we are going that route, there are certain things which need to be done, which need to be considered, and even the cost of building that modular structure. So it's not as though, honorable members, nothing is being done about finding space for, for instance, if I may make an example, when I was asking for more information on this uh, building of the modular structure, how long will it take, et cetera, et cetera, believe you me, you have three, four different companies. One will tell you they can do it in four and a half months. The other one can do it in 13 months. The other one will do and, and clearly, the team itself, as led by uh, Mr. Castle, is working very hard because I want a structure yesterday, and they are trying as much to do their best so that also, it's easy when we talk here to say sometimes, never mind the money, we need to come here, we need to be together, but we equally have to account to you about the money which we spend. This other matter, uh, which I think I should raise, is you have raised a matter on the appointment of of parliamentary staff. Um, I'm, I'm optimistic that once the Secretary of Parliament begins uh, to work here, that he will be able to immediately ensure that management vacancies in particular are filled in. On the matter of the SNAP debates, honorable members, I don't know what exactly we mean by people being suppressed when they have requested a SNAP debate. It is because all the SNAP debates which you have requested, not just uh, the DA, the last SNAP debate, there's another SNAP debate as well, which I have approved before. I have approved SNAP debates. The issue has been amongst yourselves as whippery, as programming, but as for the executive of parliament, as speaker, I have approved SNAP. In fact, there hasn't been delays in approval of SNAP debates. What we have heard is people need to find time and ensure that the programming committee is able to find an appropriate date for that SNAP debate, which really has nothing to do with a decision which a speaker is unable to take. I just thought I should clarify that. The issue of researchers, of course, the institution will continue to improve research and content capacity. I am aware of this. You are not the only one who has raised it. I do know also from the ruling party that you hear people saying there are 
limitations with regards to research capacity. And this is a matter which is being attended to. Honorable Ntlangwini, I'm sorry that he is not here because I've, I've, I've addressed the National Programming Committee and about the issue of, of introducing legislation, introduction of legislation by opposition parties, if I may say, because this is the issue now. We've discussed this matter, and we've not only discussed it, even at the recent meeting last week, I actually made a proposal that there is a need for us to have a workshop come together so that we can have an appreciation of one another, the thinking thereof, just to pick one another's brains on this matter of a, of a, of, of a, introduction of legislation. And we agreed about that. So there's no one who has stopped anyone, but we are saying, let's have a proper process. Let's understand one another. It is, in fact, the responsibility, true, of the executive to introduce legislation. We equally have a right to introduce legislation. But of course, what it means is that over the years, the executive has been more proactive in introducing legislation because of the nature of the work they are doing. They are forced, they are compelled to do it. So let's talk about this. Now, I did mention that. There is a study which was conducted by Parliament in 2019. It is referred to as the socio-economic impact of that study, which amongst others talks to this very issue of what would be the implications, the socio-economic implications of, for instance, moving Parliament from Cape Town to Pretoria. That report is there. And all that is required now is to avail the report to the to the chief whip's office uh, uh, forum so that the forum discusses the matter amongst yourselves and you agree on the way forward on these matters. Now, Honorable Singh, I've heard you in relation to the request that the rules committee must give attention to increased over oversight over all votes presented in parliament. Obviously, you are correct. It is not the first time the matter is raised. It is a matter which has been raised before for the last couple of years. And I'm sure this is a matter which we need to consider, which we will discuss and consider because it, is, it has become a pressing matter. Now, you've also raised a matter which relates to the Rules Committee in the processing of the Zondo Commission report, obviously, honorable members, we said once the report, once the president receives that report, it will take him about four months to prepare a plan of action on the report. And he will present the report to parliament. And once the report is presented to us, it will obviously go to the Rules Committee. And the Rules Committee will then advise the different committees on how to handle the issues. Talking about the Zondo Commission, I think uh, I may as well uh, respond to what Honorable Swat has raised, which is renewed emphasis on, on, on our oversight function, in particular in processing the Zondo Commission report. You are correct. We agree. 
I think all of us agree about that. Not only do we agree, honorable members, I think we should also be honest enough to say, all of us, that we have taken initial steps to deal with the issues contained in the Zondo report. Firstly, we have a team right now, a dedicated team, which is sifting from the two reports which are with us, report number three and report number four, who are identifying all of these areas which will require the attention of the Rules Committee. However, what will help us even more is the receipt of the final report, which will be your last report, which the president will hand over, will give to us together with a plan of action. So I do agree with you, but everything and everything will be dealt with in a very transparent manner. Issues will be discussed at the Chief Whip's office forum. They will be discussed in the programming committee. They will be discussed in the rules committee. Allow me, Honorable Singh, to just uh, comment on the matter of permit because I think you did not understand what I'm raising. I am not uh, complaining or I'm not complaining and I'm not critical of the fact that we have former members in the, in the, in the, in the, in the medical aid. But the issue I'm raising is which, which uh, for the first time, Parliament opened my eyes. I, I wasn't aware of, but I am fully aware of the, the amount of monies which members of Parliament part with in order to contribute to Parliament. However, the issue at hand is Parliament covers members of Parliament, former members, judges, and so on. If you consider those numbers, you're talking about a very small number of people. I don't know how many people we're talking about. And therefore you rely on the contributions of those people, even to subsidize those who are retired. Nothing wrong with retirement. We are also going to retirement. We've long been here. We're part of the furniture now where you and I know this. We are old, we're not young anymore. We're not young anymore and we have to retire. And of course, by having this medical aid, we are equally investing. Permit is like an insurance. We are investing because beyond our lives here, we will need a medical aid. But the issue I'm raising is this, that maybe it is time for us to consider opening it up so that it competes with all other medical aids so that members do not have to pay the kind of money they are paying for now. I know, for now. One member pays about six, seven thousand rents. One member, one, two members, you pay up to 10, 11. In fact, I'm even now, I, I think I'm, my suspicion is that sometimes they even look now at the profile of the member and so on. We pay a lot of money. It, not, you don't protect me. Talk, don't scream. Talk to me, don't scream. Now, so I'm, I just thought I needed to clarify that because all of us very soon are going to be former members. And when we are former members, we will still need these benefits. However, it shouldn't be at the detriment of 
the serving members of parliament. That is all I am raising. Permit, by the way, we all know for many of us who have been here, is a very good medical aid, very good one to invest in. And then the you've raised, Honorable Melda, the issue of the, the, the you know, the public perceptions. And, and I do agree the, that indeed as an institution, we need to regain the trust of ordinary citizens of South, of South Africa. And I believe that it is us here who should discuss the how part. How do we ensure that we regain the trust and the confidence of the people of South Africa? Now, you then raise the matter of interpolations. I'm, I'm aware that the subcommittee on review of the rules is discussing that matter. And in fact, one of the issues raised is possibility of going back to interpolations. So I, I just thought I should, I should clarify that. Honorable Kwangwa, I don't know. Honorable Kwangwa, I thought you are aware of the fact that you have even as a party written me a letter, which I received last night. You have written me a letter which relates to the matter which has been out in the public related to the robbery at the president's place. Honorable Zungula has also written me a letter and all of you, you are proposing the way forward on how to handle that matter. So I don't understand now how the matter gets raised here at this point because you've made proposals, they are on the table, they are being considered. Not only that, then of course the president has also indicated that he is ready to cooperate with the law enforcement agencies. So whatever it is that we do at the end of it all, we must not have parallel processes running, but also there shouldn't be a stampede because once there's a stampede, in Kosa we say Uzaibuda. I don't know how to, maybe some you can translate that. I don't know, uh, can, in, can, can interpret Uzaibuda, what does this mean? You'll Buddha, it will mess it up on a True, if, if, if you rush into something, Buddha, or you'll go crashing into in the wall. So I, I thought, oh, thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Chairperson, I just wanted to say with regard, Honorable Guahube, you've raised the same issue of uh, matters of people uh, implicated in the Zondo Commission. You are so much in a hurry. But I've given you reports to say that where we are able to act, we've started acting. But there is no way we can rush into everything before the final report comes to us from the president. President himself still does not have that number five um, report as far as I know. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, honorable members. And, and thank you. I'm sorry that I could not. You have expanded to any other time. Thank you. Thank you. The secretary will read the second order. Consideration of recommendation of a person to fill a vacancy on electoral commission. I will now call upon the Honorable Chabane from the chamber.
Thank you, House Chair, uh, Ministers and Deputy Ministers, Members of the House. It gives me great pleasure to table the report on the Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs on the filling vacancy of a Commissioner of the Electoral Commission. The Independent Electoral Commission is a state institution supporting constitutional democracy established in terms of Chapter 9 of the Constitution. Its independency as an autonomous body is guaranteed by Section 181, Subsection 2 of the Constitution and Section 3, Subsection 1 of the Electoral Commission Act. The IEC executive leadership is composed of five members, one of whom must be a judge, an executive member of the IEC must be a South African citizen and must not, must not have a high party political profile. The executive members or commissioners of the IEC are appointed by the President of the Republic upon recommendation by the National Assembly, following nomination by a committee of the National Assembly. A commissioner of the Independent Electoral Commission is appointed for a period of seven years unless the President of the Republic, on the recommendation of the National Assembly, extend the term for a, a particular period. The then commissioner of IEC, Mr. Glenn Machinini, who was appointed as a chairperson, his term of office expired on the 16th of April, 2022. The then acting Chief Justice of the Republic of South Africa, Justice Zondo, in his capacity as the chairperson of the panel, established in terms of section six, subsection three of the Electoral Act, invited nomination for a vacancy for members of the Electoral Commission. The panel com comprised of the Chief Justice, the chairperson of the South African Human Rights Commission, the chairperson of the Commission for Gender Equality and the Public Protector. The initial deadline for the nomination was on the 18th February, 2022. In response to the request by some organization, the then acting Chief Justice extended the deadline for nomination by seven days from the 18th February to 25th February, 2022, to allow interested parties who may not have been aware of the advertisement to submit their nominations. 48 applicants were received. The panel shortlisted were 12 credible candidates. However, three, three candidates withdrew, leaving the panel with nine candidates. The panel conducted interviews and in no particular order, the candidates were referred to, the, to parliament for consideration. And these are the names, Mr. Bekebeke, Advocate Lowe, Advocate Lambani, Ms. Maharaj, Mr. Mashinini, Dr. Mbete, Ms. Mbovu, Mr. Tango, and Mr. White. The Chief Justice submitted a list of these candidates and their curricula retired to the National Assembly for consideration to fill a vacancy in the Electoral Commission. The matter was referred to the Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs on the 14th of April 2022 for consideration and reporting to the National Assembly. The committee then met on the 10th, the 20th, and the 31 May 2022 to deliberate and consider the candidate recommended by the panel. Following the extensive deliberation by the Portfolio Committee, the committee recommended that the House approve the nomination of Mr. Machinini for appointment to fill the vacancy in the Electoral Commission. Thank you, House Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. I will now recognize political parties wishing to make a declaration. The usual times for declaration of votes will apply.
the DA. Thank you, Jefferson. Uh, Jefferson, during Mr. Machini's term as IEC commissioner, he has overseen an unprecedented decline in voter turnout. In 2016, 15 million people voted, and this number declined to 12 million in 2021. This is a clear indication that the IEC is failing to improve voter turnout. And numerous reports have indicated that young people do not have appetite to vote. And IEC does not have a tangible plan to attract uh, young voters, other than the use of social media platforms and TV channels, which is not yielding full results. The registration of uh, people of ages between 18 and 35 keeps declining in each and every um, election. Chaperson, young people are the future of this country, and it is very important that we find ways to encourage them to vote. They need to play a meaningful role in deciding who should govern this country or represent their interests. In the recent IEC appearance before Portfolio Committee, the IEC confirmed that when they visit schools for voter education, they do not coordinate with local IEC officers to ensure that those interested to vote are registered immediately. This is definitely a missed opportunity. To this day, in various VDs, Chairperson, we keep witnessing people whose addresses do not appear on the voters' roll or that they're incorrectly captured. In the recent 2021 local government elections, we have witnessed voters being turned away because they have been moved from VDs they have been voting from since 1994. Some were moved to different VDs outside their world and it is kilometers away. Because of this conduct by the IEC chairperson, most voters who did not appear have, uh, did not have means to reach newly allocated VDs. And as a result, they have abandoned their opportunity to take part in elections. Some did not vote as they saw no need to vote for a ward councillor who is in a different ward and won't be able to address to their service delivery issues. Chairperson, during Mr. Machini's term, who has just been recommended right here, there's been a lack of accountability within the IEC. Issues of irregular conduct by some of IEC presiding officers remain unresolved up until the voting and counting has been finalized and nothing is being done to address the raised issues. This has been caused, this has also caused a huge decline in electoral commissions by the community. According to Barometer Survey conducted in 2021, it reflects that communities' trust in the IEC has declined from 69% in 2014 to 36% in 2021. The IEC appeared before the Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs on numerous occasions and reiterated their readiness to hold local government elections. The alleged, um, allegedly successful by elections that were hold, held during the COVID-19 were used as a reference to emphasize their readiness. However, Chaperson, the IEC has delivered the worst elections. This follows the 2019 national and provincial elections washable ink debacle. In the 2021 local government election under Mr. Machini's wash, the IEC failed in its most basic task to manage voter registration. The election in such a way that every person entitled to be registered and vote can do so. After assuring Parliament that the voter management devices were in order and tested and that the IEC was ready for the election, this turned out not to be the case. Failures in this system resulted in around 140,000 voters who had changed their registration, finding they had in fact not been changed and being unable to vote on the election day. Furthermore, 
the Democratic Alliance received complaints from 150 voting stations on election day, where the voter management device failed, causing long queues and leading voters to leave the queues in frustration. Chairperson, the Democratic Alliance objects to the recommendation of Mr. Glenn Machinini as an electoral commissioner, and we reject this report. I thank you. Thank you, Madam Member. EFF. Thanks, House Chairperson. House Chairperson, we note with dismay the re the reappointment of Mr. Glenn Machinini back into the Electoral Commission as a commissioner. Mr. Machinini was first appointed as a commissioner by the IEC in 2015 and was later appointed by President Zuma as chairperson of the IEC later that year. Over the past seven years, Mr. Machinini has proven himself to be a dependable cadre of the ruling party. And under his watch, the IEC has failed dismally to uphold democratic principles of the country. Under his watch, the IEC has not conducted any significant electoral education in the country, such that today over 10 million eligible voters in the country are not registered to vote. The voter turnout of those registered to vote is declining at a dramatic rate, and most of this happened under his watch. His reappointment is part of entrenching undemocratic principles of the ANC and in preparation for 2024 when the ANC is likely to lose the power. The IEC is being prepared for stealing elections because an IEC stuffed to the bone with ANC loyalists will do whatever the ANC requires of it and the ANC is not prepared to lose power. We condemn the use of constitutional institutions in the pursuit of narrow political party aspirations. Amongst those recommended by the Chief Justice and Head of Chapter 9 institutions for appointment were young and capable leaders who are not tainted by political party factionalisms. Amongst these people was a capable Dr. Sitembele Mbete, whose name was ignored for no particular reason. We want to warn Mr. Machini. We want to warn Mr. Machinini that we will be watching him like a hawk. We reject this appointment. I thank you, House Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Member. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chairperson. Honorable House Chairperson, the 2021 local government election was by far the most difficult election for the IEC since the dawn of our democracy. The IEC suffered brand damage. There were problems with the newly purchased voting machines. Many young people and first-time voters were left disillusioned and heartbroken when they could not vote because their details didn't appear on the voters' roll. This despite the fact that they'd registered to vote. We also saw a record low voter turnout and low participation amongst the youth in these elections. However, for some it was a good election, like for the IFP. Today we control 29 municipalities, the majority of municipalities in KwaZulu-Natal. Our main task now is to return these municipalities to hubs of good governance and to build municipalities which will put off citizens first. Chairperson, the 2024 national provincial election will be a complex hill to climb for the IEC. The IEC faces budget cuts, which will negatively impact its ability to execute its mandate. 
the IEC also has to contend with the growing impact of disinformation and how it impacts the outcome of our elections. It was therefore important for us to find a candidate to fill this vacancy that could help the IEC to address all of these growing challenges. The IFP wishes to thank all those who applied for the vacant position of IEC commissioner. We thank them for being citizens that care about strengthening our democracy and our future. In particular, our caucus expressed support for Dr. Sitembile Mbete, who's a senior political lecturer. She was also a researcher at the National Planning Commission, and she contributed to the drafting of the National Development Plan. She's passionate about reforming public service, electoral reform, and she's an anti-corruption and youth leader, leadership activist. And she would have been great at attracting young people to the next election. It must be noted, however, that all those who were proposed to fill this vacancy were suitably qualified. Any of the candidates would have added value to the IEC and each offered their own strengths and expertise. The IFP would like to once more pledge our support to the IEC, to the entire IEC team and its future endeavors of delivering free and fair elections. We know that elections are determined by those who show up. We also therefore pledge our support in turning around the low voter turnout we saw in the past election, as well as the continued low participation of our youth in the elections. This is ultimately a matter that goes to the very heart of our democracy and that will require joint intervention and solutions. The future of our country is indeed in the hands of our South African voters. Let us encourage our citizens, especially our youth, to use this power. The IFP will support this report. I thank you. Thank you, Honourable Member. FF, sorry, FF plus. Thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, let me start by saying the Freedom Front Plus will not be accepting this recommendation and will be objecting to this. We have seen with LGE 2021 the multitude of problems that the IC have faced, the challenges. If you look at the court case and the um, voters' role that we have still not adequately addressed, Chairperson, going into 2024 and the challenges that the this commission faces, we need to hold this commission to the highest standard. We need to have, um, we need to ensure that our commissioners are of the highest standard and integrity, and therefore the Freedom Front Plus will not be supporting this. I thank you. Thank you, Honourable Member. Thank you, House Chair. House Chair, the ACDP shares the concerns that have been expressed by other speakers. We also experienced difficulties with the last elections, although we did as a party grow. But we do appreciate the fact as well that there were a number of suitable candidates, and we are concerned about the elections that were run under the chairmanship of the then Mr. Glemashini, and so we regrettably will not support the nomination. I thank you. Thank you, Honourable Member. Judy M. Judy M. Wood. NFP. AIC. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Chair, this is the most clear cut report in the jurisprudence of this House. 
The AIC will support this report on the appointment of Mr. Glenn Mashinini. Mr. Mashinini has led the IEC in good stead. He is concise and precise. His meticulous and ex- exhibit personal integrity. He masters specific, the abstracts and the nebulas. Since his appointment on the 14th September 2015, in 2015, international observers carrying out elections observer, observer missions have given the Electoral Commission a slew of positive, positive reviews for hosting free and fair elections in South Africa. This pattern of positive reviews has been consistent since 1994. Mr. Mashinini not only took on the burden, but also wielded it to greater heights. We, we have no doubt that uh, his experience on electoral matters, which spans over 20 years, will continue to enrich the work of the Commission. The collective work of Mr. Mashinini, including that of Chief Electoral Officer Saima Mabulo and a host of other commissioners, has been exceptional. His appointment must be given a green light. We then support this report, Honorable Chair. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Cope. PAC. Al Jama. AMC. Honorable Chairperson, members of the executive and legislature, compatriots, comrades, and friends on various platforms, good day. The African National Congress rises in support of the report of Home Affairs on filling the vacancy in the Electoral Commission. After decades of disenfranchisement of the black majority in South Africa, the ANC declared that the achievement of the right to vote would signal the achievement of full citizenship and legal equality for all. It declared that elections would be a fundamental element of a democratic political life in our country and that government shall maximize popular participation and be accountable and responsible to the people. The ANC further declared that all elections at a central, regional and local level shall be conducted by an independent electoral commission, which shall enjoy freedom from governmental and political control. Chairperson, I must firstly thank all candidates for availing themselves to this position and must place on record the credibility of all of these candidates. The Independent Electoral Commission is an important constitutional institution which which supports democracy. It It has been instrumental in ensuring free, fair and credible elections in the country. To this end, the ANC supports the name of Mr. Glenn Mashinini to fill the vacancy in the commission. Mr. Mashinini served as the chairperson of the IEC and has been in executive management in general and electoral management in particular, a significant part of his working career, which spans to some 30 years. Mr. Mashinini's electoral management experience started when he became part of the founding executive management team, which was essential in establishing the IEC in 1998. He was responsible for the conceptualization, business processes, and organizational design, as well as institutional building with intricate human resources recruitment, program management, and management systems for the delivery of elections, which have received international acclaim. Mr. Mashinini's impressive CV 
reflects that he jointly established a highly respected consultancy which provided electoral advisory and management services across the continent, including in Nigeria, Mozambique, and Angola. In 2012, having served as the deputy chairperson of the Presidential Review Committee on State-Owned Entities, Mr. Mashinini was appointed as a special project advisor to the President of the Republic of South Africa to help implement the recommendations. Chairperson, the COVID-19 pandemic touched every aspect of our lives, including the systems of government. And the IEC instituted a formal inquiry to ascertain whether a free, fair election was possible under COVID conditions. The commission, which was headed by former Deputy Chief Justice Dikang Musaneke, and the inquiry heard evidence from the Department of Health, public experts, leaders of political parties, electoral research institution. In its report delivered on the 10th of July, 2021, the inquiry concluded that the forthcoming municipal elections could not be held in October, 2021 in a manner that was free and fair and without infringing the rights to life, bodily and psychological integrity and access to healthcare as required by the constitution and related legislation. The commission accepted the recommendations adopted the report, and caused the full report to be published. The election date was proclaimed by the minister responsible for local government after consultation with the commission. And on the 6th of August, 2021, the commission launched a direct application out of the constitutional court seeking a deferral of the election. On 3rd of September, 2021, the constitutional court handed down an order in which it dismissed the application by the commission to defer the municipal elections to a date beyond 1st November 2021. This is key. The commission was effectively left with 46 days in which electoral activity is needed to be undertaken. Traditionally, an election timetable provided for no fewer than 76 days. Notwithstanding all these challenges, the IEC delivered free and fair elections under the leadership of Mr. Mashinini. Some of the key innovations of LGE 2021 include the procurement of a new voter management devices ahead of the election, new generation technology, which allowed for enhanced voter registration and monitoring of voter participation in real time, a revamped public website for improved navigation and communications, a public reporting app for disinformation on social media in association with Media Monitoring Africa, the introduction of e-learning for training of election staff, the introduction of a new and revamped voter registration system, and the introduction of e-recruitment for internal staff appointments, as well as those of electoral staff. We are aware that some of the challenges faced by the IEC, which include and are not limited to the continued decline in the rate of participation in elections. We hope that the IEC will work harder to address these challenges. Voter participation is important for democracy, and we will continue playing our, role, our oversight role on these and other matters. We believe that the leadership practical experience and institutional memory of Mr. Mashinini will be good for the IEC. Chair, I must say that notwithstanding the fact that there is a need to address participation of young people in the elections, a contributing factor to this appointment would be one of a person who has experience in elections and running elections. It's sad to hear that the conduct of presiding officers or any other complaints about the IEC has never been formalized and has never followed the processes or charges. And we hear members time and again, bringing up issues about the IEC um, and presiding officers. Recommendations should be made based on merit and not just shot down because it's supported by the ANC. 
I'm quite disappointed that Honorable Tito will speak about elections being stalled and bring a name to this to this sitting, to the House. However, the EFF chose to abstain from this item when it came to voting at a portfolio committee. Chairperson, at this House, as this House is aware, the Portfolio Committee of Home Affairs is currently deliberating on the Electoral Amendment Bill, and we affirm that Mr. Mashinini will be best placed to be able to take the process of implementation further with his extensive experience in elections. We wish to thank all the candidates who availed themselves for the position and showed patriotism. We wish Mr. Vuma Glenton Mashinini best of wishes for the future and look forward to having him back in the driving seat of the IEC. The ANC supports the report. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. I now put the question. The question before the House is that Mr. Vuma Clinton Mashinene be recommended for appointment to fill a vacancy on the Electoral Commission. Are there any objections? Yes. Uh, Chairperson, could you please note the objection of the Democratic Alliance? Objection, Chairperson, and also please note the objection of the Freedom Front Plus. Okay. And the ACDP, thank you, Chair. Object. Chairperson, also note the objection of the EFF. No objection. Honourable members, in terms of Section 62C, of the Electoral Commission Act of 1966. The person nominated for appointment to serve on the Electoral Commission must be approved by a majority of members of the Assembly. Although a division has not been demanded, members are required to record their support for the motion. The bells will be rung for five minutes for the procedure to take place.
Honorable members, honorable members, please take your seats. The best, the best way of doing it is to do it myself. Honorable members, please take your seats. Honorable Peggy Fadebe. Thank you very much. Honorable members, the speaker has determined that in accordance with the rules, a manual voting procedure will be used for this division. 
Firstly, in order to establish a quorum, I would request the table to confirm that we have the requisite number of members physically present in the chamber and on the visual platform to take this decision. Sure. Party whips will then be given an opportunity to confirm the number of their members present and indicate if they vote for or against the question. A member who wishes to abstain or vote against the party, um, and, uh, against the party vote may do so by informing the chair. Order. Having confirmed that we have the requisite quorum, we are now, will now proceed. The question before the House is that the House approves that Mr. Vuma Trenton Machinini be recommended to fill a vacancy on the Electoral Commission. Voting will now commence. The doors to the chamber will remain locked and members are not allowed to enter the virtual platform until voting is concluded. Whips, could you please confirm the number of your members present at the chamber and on the virtual platform and indicate if they vote for or against the question. The table will assist. Are there party whips ready to are the party whips ready to record votes of their members who are present? Let's start ANC. Thank you, House Chairperson. In the chamber. We are 28, voting for, on virtual platform, we have 151, total is 179, all voting for. Thank you. Thank you. DA? Thank you, House Chairperson. In the House, we are 18 members. On the virtual platform, we are 50 members. That gives us 68 members voting against. Thank you. EFF? Thank you, uh, Chair. We are 20 members on the virtual and we vote against. Thank you. IFP? Uh, thank you, Honorable Chairperson. We are three in the chamber and I'm told seven on virtual, 10 voting in favor. Thank you. FF plus? Thank you, Chairperson. We are eight on virtual and the eight vote against. Thank you. Thank you. ACDP? Thank you, Ask Chair. We are two on virtual, two in the House voting against. Thank you. ADM? <laughs> ATM? Good. NFP? AIC, <coughs> COPE, PAC. Honorable Chair, I am one and I'm voting in favor. Thank you. Al Jama. 
Is there any member that wishes to abstain or vote differently to their party? Have all members recorded their support? Thank you. The voting session is now closed and figures will be tallied. Order, honorable members. Having completed our voting processes, this is the outcome. The eyes, 190, the nose, 100, and the total is 290. The recommendation is therefore not agreed in terms of the section Thank you very much. Yeah, I am so happy. Order, honorable members, shall we continue? The secretary will read the third order. Consideration of report of Portfolio Committee on Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs on draft notice on determination of remuneration of public office bearers of Commission for Promotion and Protection of Rights of Cultural, Religious and Linguistic Communities. I will now call upon the Honorable Tassa. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Honorable Chairperson, uh, Ministers, Deputy Ministers, and Honorable Members. On the 8th of March 2022, the Portfolio Committee on Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs 
considered and adopted his report on the president's draft notice on determination of remuneration of independent constitutional institutions in respect of the financial year 2020-2021, with specific reference to the Commission for the Promotion and Protection of Cultural, Religious and Linguistic Communities. The Commission falls within the oversight ambit of the Portfolio Committee. The House had on 22 April 2021 referred the President's draft notice to the Portfolio Committee for consideration and report in terms of Section 14, Subsection 1 of the CRL Rights Commission Act of 2002. The chairperson, deputy chairperson, and other members are entitled to annual salary and such allowances or benefits as determined by the president and approved by the National Assembly. In respect of the 2020-2021 financial year, the Independent Commission for the Remuneration of Office Bearers recommended 0% annual salary increment for all office bearers of the independent constitutional institutions, taking into account the country's fiscal condition, the state's wage bill, as well as the impact of public office bearers' salary increment on the fiscal and the country's general economic condition. Having taken this into consideration, as well as the serious economic challenges facing the country, the president has expressed intent to determine 0% salary increment for all public office bearers of independent constitutional institutions. The Portfolio Committee supports and approves the intended determination by the president in relation to the public office bearers of the CRL Rights Commission. I thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. I will now recognize political parties wishing to make a declaration. The usual times apply. The day. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Given the fiscal and economic conditions of the country, the 0% increment recommended in this report is appropriate, and so the Democratic Alliance supports the report. While we are speaking about the CRL, I would just like to add that the Democratic Alliance has raised concerns about revelations from the Zondo Commission, in particular the minutes of ANC cadre deployment committee meetings that suggest that the appointment of CRL commissioners have been dictated on a party political basis. That is certainly the suggestion of those documents, and the DA looks forward to this parliament dealing with those uh, allegations and the other findings and revelations of the Zondo Commission. The CRL is a constitutional body in terms of Chapter 9 of the Constitution, and its integrity must be preserved. Uh, that having been said, on this particular uh, report, it has the DA's support. Thank you, Chairperson.
Thank you very much, Honorable Member. EFF. Uh, thank you, Chair. Chairperson, uh, the state of our economy is the worst it has been in recent memory. The cost of living is getting out of hand for many people who do not have the luxury of saving millions of dollars stashed inside mattresses in their farms. For these people who do not have the protection of the state and the immunity from prosecution and media protection when they commit crimes, they have no other choice but to endure the difficulties of a collapsing economy. In April 2021, the president sent a notice to parliament that for the 2020-2021 financial year, he was recommending that there be no increment for the chairperson, deputy chairperson, and others working at institution for the advancement of the constitution, such as the Commission for Cultural, Religious, and Linguistic Rights. While Using the state of the economy as an excuse, an economy that the president himself and his cabal of thieves have destroyed. The president does not, does not have to worry about his next plate of food because his madras are stuffed with millions of rents. It is the public servants and those working tirelessly in pursuit of the deferred dreams of our freedom who must bear the brunt of the mismanagement of the economy caused by the ruling party. The austerity measures imposed by government have never worked and they will not start working today. While we are not bothered much by the refusal to grant salaries to the management at this institution, we want ordinary workers to be remunerated fairly. These measures are not going to have any significant impact effect on the ability of the state to manage funds any better than what they are doing now. The biggest threat to the financial stability of this country is the deeply is deeply embedded in the corruption of the ANC and its an inability to grow the economy. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. IFP. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. The CRL Rights Commission fulfills a critical function in terms of the Constitution and is mandated to promote and develop tolerance and national unity within cultural, religious, and linguistic communities. As Parliament, we need to actively monitor the performance of this institution and ensure it meets its performance targets and fulfills its mandate to the people of South Africa. Although the IFP acknowledges challenges of budgetary constraints on the Commission's mandate, it is vital that the Commission improves on internal controls as the issue of irregular expenditure has been a, cons a, con a consistent weakness of the Commission in previous financial years. On consideration of the draft notice from the President concerning the determination of salaries and allowances of members of the independent con constitutional institutions in relation to members of the CRL uh, Rights Commission, the IFE supports the president's, the president's determination. The Independent Commission for the Remuneration of Public Office Bearers rec 
recommended to the president a 0% annual salary increment for all office bearers of the independent constitutional institutions. The recommend, sorry, uh, the rec- this recommendation was made in consideration of the serious economic challenges faced by our country, and the president has followed this recommendation. The economic reality of a GDP growth rate of only 2.1% projected for 2022 and a government debt of 4.3 trillion places our country in a very precarious position. In light of this reality, the president's determination is justified. The IFP, however, wishes to again stress the importance of ensuring this important institution meets its performance targets despite budgetary constraints. We cannot allow this institution to fail in its duties to the people of South Africa. Now, more than ever, we need to actively work together to find peace and national unity between cultural communities and the Commission's mandate in this regard is vital. The IFP, after consideration of the report of the Portfolio Committee, accepts the Portfolio Committee's report and recommendation. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honourable Member. FS Plus. No declaration. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. ACDP. Thank you, Ashti. The ACDP supports the report. Thank you. Thank you. UDM. ATM. Board. NFP. I, AIC. Cope. PAC. Aljama. ANC. ANC. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson and Honorable. Chair, the historic mission of the African National Congress has been and it will continue to be the liberation of blacks in general and Africans in particular from all forms of oppression unleashed by colonialism and apartheid in its vestiges. Chair, the democratic breakthrough in 1994 had given the democratic movement, and those who want to reverse the legacy of apartheid colonialism, a bitch hate to pursue a non-racial, non-sexist, non-sexist, and truly democratic society. The Constitution, in its founding principles, recognizes that one of the legacies of apartheid colonialism is the diminishing of the status of the indigenous languages. The Constitution further, in its in accordance with its Bill of Rights, guarantees all the right to use their language, participate in the cultural life of their choice, and subsection section 31 of the Constitution is expressed that persons belonging to a cultural, religious, and linguistic community may not be denied the right with other members of that community to enjoy their culture and practice their religion and use their language and to form and join and maintain cultural, religious and linguistic associations and other organs of civil society. For the state, Honorable Jefferson, to achieve its developmental objectives, it must mobilize all sections of society, 
including religious, cultural, linguistic communities, towards social cohesion and harmony. This is the mandate that has been entrusted to the Cultural, Religious, and Linguistic Rights Commission. We expect it to make a contribution through programs aimed at promoting social values, principles that are in line with the democratic spirit and intention of the Constitution. In order to achieve this, we must understand the need for a properly resourced commission, including the development and the retention of human resources that are going to drive policies and programs in this institution. We note the report by the Independent Commission for the Remuneration of Public Office Bearers, which recommended to the President that 0% increase, annual increase increment to office bearers in the independent constitutional institutions be implemented. The report cited, amongst others, reasons being the challenges in the fiscal and the country's general economic outlook. We are all aware that salary increments in the public service have been a contentious issue between government and public sector unions. The working class has been asked to make compromises in light of these conditions. It would be insensitive to the plight of the workers if we agree to an increase in salaries of public representatives, such as that would be bordering on a separation, classifying the public into stratas. The budget review and recommendation chair report identified some of the challenges which have engulfed the CRR Rights Commission, and these include irregular and fruitless expenditure of 925,000 under expenditure and expenditure of the value of 4.3 million and other optimal performance shown by an 81% achievement of targets. Of greater concern to the committee has been the worst performance is recorded under the conflict resolution program, which is at the core of the commissioner's function. We also noted that there are some challenges which have been cited in the budget review and recommendation, such as the lack of internet connectivity, which hamper the commission's ability to reach rural communities, lack of provincial and municipal offices, workplaces, which hampers outreach work, and the general lack of resources, which impede the commission from realizing its broad mandate. The limited resources in the commission commission should be deployed towards addressing these challenges and funding programs which maximize the impact of the commission in our communities and strengthening social cohesion. Chair, the ANC supports the report and its recommendations. I thank you. Thank you very much. I now put the question. Are there any objections to the adoption of the report of the Portfolio Committee on Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs? No objections agreed to. Fourth order. Fourth to forty-fourth orders. Honorable members, we'll now take orders number four to forty-four. 
together as they appear on the order paper. These are reports of portfolio committees on budget votes. As has been the practice, there will be no declaration of votes on these reports. I will allow parties to indicate their objections to specific reports should they wish to do so. And I'll recognize the Honorable Chief Whip of the Majority Party. Thanks, uh, Honorable House Chairperson. I move that the reports be adopted. The motion is that the reports be adopted. Are there any objections? No objections. Yes, Chairperson. Come again, Honorable Member. Uh, yes, Chairperson, I have objections. Okay, noted. Honorable Attorney. House Chairperson, it's not afterthoughts, Honorable Gakuri, I promise. House Chairperson, I want to seek clarity from you, please, that, that, that um, I'm, I'm correcting my assumption. So what we do today is we accept that these reports have already been debated in the House. And then next week, we do the votes and schedules, and that's when we object or approve, and we do the, if we want to divide, then we do our speeches. Because I think that there might be some confusion so I just wanted to make sure that I understood it correctly myself. So what we are what we are objecting or supporting is the fact that these were in fact debated in the house, and that's what we had a chance to do. Thank you very much. I think. I think Honorable Matsuani is correct. Quite correct. Uh, Honorable members, I think we've indicated that these are reports between 4 and 44. If there are people that, if there are members that want to object, we're free to do so. It will be noted. But for now, there has been no objections. And thank you very much for that. Yes, we have, we have noted the freedom front. We have noted. Okay. Uh, freedom front has no as uh, objected, and uh, but they did not indicate which report are they objecting to. So they'll make an indication maybe at a later stage. Okay, thank you, Chairperson. I will do that. I will well. I will consult the table and just give through our um, the different um, numbers on which we then object. If that would be in order with your good self. Uh, honorable members, I think the process has been followed correctly. Uh, that, honorable members, concludes the business of the day. The house is adjourned. Thank you.